The woods have always been my safe place. They were when I was eight years old. I was a bullied kid. Now that I'm 20 years old, the woods still are my safe place. But that all changed about a week ago. My house is in a fairly suburban area, just a few minutes of a walk from a forest that was barely saved from removal by locals. The area is known as Weona Park. Those woods are a favorite of joggers and people just out for a stroll, especially in the fall, when nature is at her best. I had gotten home early from work one day and decided to take an hour to enjoy the forest, so I put on my coat, walked down the hill to the entrance of the woods. The leaves made that satisfying crunch underneath my feet, and the colors reminded me of Thanksgiving. I popped in my headphones and played a couple of old Billy Joel songs, my favorites. Life seemed good. Eventually, I realized that I only had a bit left to walk, so I took a turn to go deeper into the woods. I continued to walk, but then my music suddenly cut out. I took my headphones out, checked the connection, then I checked the battery on my device. Everything seemed fine. But now that I could hear my surroundings, I couldn't hear my surroundings, because everything had gone eerily quiet. And it was dark, too. A little too dark for an early afternoon. I placed my headphones back into my ears, and I tried to play more music. But what came out instead of music caused me to jump. It was a loud burst of static that stabbed into my ear canals, the hell? I muttered, breathing heavily, yanking out the headphones again. A moment later, that phrase I'd just spoken was echoed around me. The hell? I was dumbstruck. That didn't seem like a normal echo, so I tested it with a whistle. And a moment later, I heard the echo again of my exact whistle. Only, once again, it did not sound like a proper echo. It was as if someone was recording me, mocking me. I looked around, and I saw nothing but the darkness of the forest. My phone then vibrated, and I looked down to see a text from a number I did not recognize. I opened it. It was a picture of me, standing right where I was then, looking down at my phone. The picture was taken only a few seconds ago, from my left. I quickly glanced in that direction, but saw nothing. The picture hadn't been taken from very far away, and it was still light enough for me to see a couple of yards in front of me, so something should have been there. I should have seen someone, at least, taking photos. My phone vibrated again, and I glanced back down to see another picture of me, this time from the right. I freaked out and backed from that direction. I texted back, Who are you? I received another picture of me. I began to back away from the deeper area of the woods. My heart was pounding and my innards felt like ice. I had no idea where the person was, but I needed to know, because if I ran in the wrong direction, I could be heading right towards them. I called their number 
and I waited to hear a ring. My phone said, connecting, and I waited. Then I heard a ring behind me. My heart leapt into my throat, and my legs went weak. I slowly turned to face the sound, but the ringing stopped as my eyes fell on someone. They were over six feet tall, much taller than I was. I remember them wearing a black tactical jacket and a hoodie, but what I mostly focused on was their mask. It was yellow, and it had a tight smile with square teeth, two squinting eyes, but no nose. It looked like some kind of demonic emoji. I screamed, and I ran, following the trail I used to love. I didn't stop running until I made it home. Every time I'd look back, I'd see them not too far behind me, but somehow... I never saw them run. They would just be standing still, watching me. I had never been so scared in my life. When I got home, I fumbled with the keys and I ran inside. That was the most terrifying moment of my life. It was the kind of feeling where you curved your back and you pushed all your force forward just to get away. Once I was inside... I locked all the doors and windows, then I grabbed a knife and I stayed in bed for the rest of the night, waiting, listening. To this day, I never went back into those woods. I bought a new phone, too. Even though I deleted those texts, I didn't want him to be able to contact me or find me. Sometimes, though, I do walk a little close to those woods, and I find myself staring at the trees, trembling, and I wonder who or what was behind that mask. Skinwalker Encounters From Dread 445 Part 1 I'm a Native American from the Navajo tribe. I lived on the Navajo reservation near Four Corners for about eight years, and I knew about skinwalkers. I knew about them my whole life. My family always told me not to talk about them, not to mention anything about them, as it is said to attract them, but I did anyways with my cousins. We didn't care as much as our elders did, but maybe we should have. Back then, I wondered why people were so afraid of them, these skinwalkers or gloshies. You always hear about people freaking out the moment they come across one or hear one, but that's what they do. They like to scare people, because in reality, skinwalkers aren't supposed to be able to harm you, not physically, not if you're not afraid of them. The worst they can do is blow powder in your face and get you sick for a while, or try to curse you. But there are ways to get rid of a skinwalker, like using ashes from a fireplace and sprinkling them around your home, or you can keep a pouch of them and throw it at them if the time comes. That's the way I've always been told. I learned it all from my grandfather who is a medicine man, 
so naturally I took his lesson. He still practices his medicine man career, doing peyote ceremonies and other things, some of which I don't remember well, but he always warned us about not going out at night. I've had what I believe to be three separate encounters with skinwalkers, and now I know that whole don't-go-out-at-night thing is something I should definitely take more seriously. The first encounter happened when I was six. Me and my mother were driving to a city near us because we lived out in the hills about fifty miles from the nearest town. My mother ended up forgetting to fuel up from the day before, so we were stuck on the road waiting for anyone to pick us up. But no one came, and my mother told me we would have to walk back home. Then we could call my father to get fuel when he comes back. We were about three miles away from home. It may not seem far, but walking in the dark on a dirt road, trees surrounding you on either side, with no streetlights, knowing that wolves or coyotes or even a cougar could attack you, that's a bit creepy, but we continued to walk. About a mile in, I started to hear someone throwing rocks at the trees lightly. I quickly told my mother, but she told me not to look or acknowledge the noise, because that's what they wanted. I began to understand what she meant. We kept on walking, not paying the forest any mind, until we heard a dog whimpering in the trees. Once again I told my mother, but she told me the same thing. The noise started to change from a dog's to a man's voice, one that I remember clearly saying, Hey, look, over here. I felt my body tense up, and my blood began to rush. I knew I couldn't look, but it kept saying my name about four times in a row, and then it began to run ahead of us. I could make out a dark figure running between the trees. I know my mother saw it too, but she told me not to run, because then it would start chasing us. I listened to her, swallowing hard and trying my best not to be afraid. I asked her if she could hear it calling out to me, but she didn't. She said if I heard it again, I should ignore it as much as possible. So we kept walking, now only a mile away. It was then that we saw a dog in the middle of the road. It was a brown and black mutt, and it sat there looking at us while we walked around it. Now, my mother always has a little pouch of ashes that she kept all over the place for situations like this. She was just about to pull it out when the creature ran. My mother told me we would have to walk a little bit faster now. Then we heard the shrieks. They were loud, sounding like a rooster crowing, mixed with a dog yelping. We continued to walk at the same pace until finally we made it back home, and we waited there for my father. But that didn't stop it from trying to bother us. Something began to knock on the door, just barely, and it was walking on the roof after that. My mother wasn't afraid, because she took out my grandfather's 12-gauge and held it till the noise went away. Three hours later, my father came home to pick up my mother and to get the car in the road. Part 2 
When I was ten years old, we moved to a city. My parents dropped me off at Mainale during the summer break after the school year was over. One night I was alone. My family was in the city working, and Mainale went to a casino. I was at her place watching movies. I was also playing Spongebob the movie game on my GameCube. An underrated game, by the way. When I suddenly began to hear the dogs barking all around me. My family had a few dogs to let us know if something was around, but all of them began to bark, yet I didn't know why. But then, I heard a light tapping on the window. I actually didn't go check, because by then I knew what it was. It began to get a little bit louder, trying to get my attention, but it stopped. Then, it started to move along the walls, tapping all around. This time around, I was feeling more irritated, so I figured I'd do something about it. I got some ashes from the fireplace, and I placed them next to me, in case it tried to get in. Then I continued to play the game, ignoring it. But then, it crawled on the roof, and I could hear it walking around up there. In my head, I was like, what the heck, and this dude really got on the roof. It kept on going until my Nale came home. I told her about it, and she laughed at me, saying that there was one that always did that crap, and asked if it scared me. I was honest with her and told her it did a little bit, but I ignored it after a while. She laughed again and told me to go to bed, and that was that. Part 3 The third incident happened when I was 13. This one I actually messed up, because I didn't put an ash circle around the house like my Nolly told me to. A couple of days before, all the same stuff happened. It was nighttime, and I was starting to get sleepy around 9 or 10, so I went to bed. But while I slept, I had a horrible nightmare. I woke up in the dark. The only light I had on my face was through a window from the moonlight. This window was on the wall between the kitchen and the living room where I was sleeping. I peered into the kitchen, which was pitch black. Everything seemed fine, so I tried to go back to sleep, when suddenly, I felt just wrong. A feeling of dread came over me. I looked around again, but I couldn't see anything there, but I knew something was. I kept trying to search for something, when finally, it moved slightly towards the light a bit. I was stunned. I was looking at this dark figure that had a head shaped like a dog's. Perhaps it was wearing the dog's skin. But I was immediately struck with the smell of wet dog, compost, and rotting animal. I froze, then desperately tried to call out to my Nale, but my voice felt as if it was being squeezed. I could only let out a hoarse whisper. I looked back at the figure but it didn't move. It seemed to be staring in at me. For the next several minutes, heck, it could have been an hour, I couldn't do anything. I decided to try to ignore it, like my parents always told me, so I turned around and I squeezed my eyelids shut. The following day, the sun shone through all around, 
and I remembered immediately what happened last night. My Nolly walks up to me asking if I woke up earlier. I asked her why. She said, well, because someone left the front door open. That creeped me out, and now that I'm older, I think I've gotten used to them, and luckily I know what to do when the worst happens. Sleeping Creature from Eveline S. This encounter took place ten years ago in a forest located between Bouzonson and Ornon in the east of France. I must first of all say that I've always loved nature. As a child, until I was a teenager, I used to get up early in the morning before everyone, around 6 a.m. I went out in muffled steps to avoid waking my parents and brothers. I would go for a walk every morning in the wilderness for two hours, before returning to have breakfast and to go to school. So I was used to my solitary walks for a long time. Later on, I would have to give up this habit, because I had to leave to continue my studies, and because I was a boarder in high school. The years have passed. In 2009, as in previous years, I used to go to a forest near Ornon to look for mushrooms. I could go far enough without ever feeling the least concern. It was a beautiful coniferous forest. That week it was in August. I was unusually nervous out there, and I didn't really understand why. The weather was gorgeous, but something bothered me. Several times I rushed to pick up my mushrooms, and I would quickly leave the woods, then jump into my car, leaving as fast as possible. On the way back, I said to myself, What's wrong with you? But hey, I forgot about it and came back the next day. It was then that I finally understood the reason for my concern. After picking up some mushrooms, I got up and understood what was bothering me. It was the silence there. I listened. I could hear my heart beating extra hard, but nothing else. Once again, I left quickly. One morning I arrived around 7.30. It was the best time to go for mushrooms before others passed through. I embarked on a trail that I had not explored yet. I soon stumbled upon a dark mass. It was about 60 meters away from me, but I could see it. I thought it was a tree stump at first. I began walking while looking at the ground, picking some mushrooms and going about my business. I eventually made it up to that mass and I looked up in front of me. I was shocked. I tried to understand what I was looking at because it definitely was not a tree stump. It was some sort of animal curled up on itself, muzzle resting on the chest. The posture was very strange. It looked like someone crouching. Its fur was a black gray, like that of a boar, but darker. And above all, it wasn't a boar either. I know what a boar looks like, my companion being a hunter himself. My heart began to beat like crazy again. I could hear it thumping through my ears. I was terrified this creature would hear it. I began to recoil and backstep. My fear was so visceral. I'd never felt that way before. 
I ended up spinning and running without daring to return. I made it back to my car and pressed the accelerator. Back home, I didn't dare tell my companion about this. I simply asked him if he'd ever come up on a boar sleeping or sitting. Of course, he laughed at me, wondering why I asked such a sudden and odd question. During the day one day, I decided to return to the scene. I cautiously advanced my car up the trail, and I leaned over to watch, and that supposed stump was gone. So what I had walked up on was definitely a living creature of some sort. From that day forward, I didn't go that deep into the woods anymore. If I was going back in for mushrooms, I would only go back in a few meters. About a year ago, I saw Nuria TV's show about the dogman myth or reality, and this is where I'll put a name to what I saw, because the reports that show talks about, they're very similar to what I saw. Which animal do you think would sleep squatting like a person? Creature by the Tent From Insulting There's always something that happens in your life that you'll never forget, and this is one of them. It happened 15 years ago when I was 14. It was a simple camping trip with my family and my best friend, Brian. We live in a small town in West Virginia, and this creepy encounter happened on a small camping spot down in Lower Glady. This was the first time I was allowed to bring a friend camping, and I wanted to bring someone who knew about fishing and nature. Brian was a sure pick, and was one of my best friends at the time. We packed up early, and left to pick him up at his grandparents' house. It's only around 50 minutes or so to get to the camping spot, but let me tell you, it's in the lower mountains and far away from anyone else, or any sort of help. Once we got there, we set up camp. Me and Brian had our own tent while my parents set up their tent across from us. Our tent, because we were living dangerously, was set up right next to a tree line with a bunch of vegetation blocking our sight from looking into the forest. The campsite was kind of in the open, but surrounded by trees and a nice creek for fishing. So after we set up, me and Brian went with my dad to try and catch some rainbow trout for cooking. This is where the first part of the encounter happened. As anyone knows, when you're young, your parents won't believe you most of the time when you see something odd. While fishing, we all three kind of split up to cover more water holes. As I throw my spinner in the water, bam, I got a monster rainbow right on the line. While I'm fighting this fish, I swear I could see a shadow of a tall figure across the creek. It was looking down at me from behind a tree. I began to look at it when my dad yelled at me, telling me he's coming, and he's bringing the net. Just as he says that, I look towards him, then back at the tree, and the figure is gone. After I fight the fish for a while and we net the beauty, I proceed to tell my dad what I saw. But he shrugs it away, like I was just overly excited and didn't see anything. We head back to camp. The fire is burning hot, and we're cooking this big fish up. While it's cooking, I'm in my tent with Brian and was telling him about what I saw. Believe it or not, he swears he saw the figure too. 
But for him, he saw it behind a different tree. Which means there were multiple creatures, and all of them were watching me pull that trout out. After all that chatting, we began to eat dinner. It was getting dark out then. My dad brings out his American honey whiskey and starts hitting it hard. Around 11pm or so, he's passed out next to the fire, lying in the trunk of a tree, while my mom was smart enough to get in their tent and pass out. Of course, me and Brian were young and full of energy, and we wanted to stay up late. We're starting to tell ghost stories trying to scare each other. That's when we began to hear branches starting to bend and to break outside the tent. Just then, something gets knocked off the table outside and onto the ground. I'm sitting there under my sleeping bag, absolutely terrified. Brian looks at me and says we have to see what it is. So we get up, and we slowly start to unzip the zipper. It's just a dough. Her front legs are on the table, and she's chewing on some bread we left out. We get out of the tent, and the deer is still eating away, even though we're only a few feet from it. Just as I take a step, what sounded like someone knocking a freaking tree down sounds off to our right. The deer jerks up and looks at us, then looks back in the woods before taking off. Brian, being the idiot he was, takes a big rock from the ground and chucks it into the air and towards the woods. We can hear the rock crashing down through the branches, but just then, instead of a light sound of the rock hitting the ground, we hear this horrible, terrible scream of some animal yelling in the woods. We look at each other, then jump back into our tent. We zip the zipper up and get under the sleeping bag. Just as we do that, we can hear branches snapping and bushes moving around. I look at Brian and said, holy crap, something's coming. The firelight made a shadow of it on our tent. It was huge, some sort of animal. All I could see was an outline of possibly a man or something bigger. It seemed to be seven feet or so, and the fingers on its hands ended in points. I look over at Brian, and I whispered to him, my dad's out there. As much as I wanted to be a hero, I couldn't move from our tent. All I could do was hide under my sleeping bag as I heard the table being knocked over and our food being torn up. But as fast as it happened, it was gone. We wanted to look outside the tent, but were so scared that we ended up falling asleep while hiding in our sleeping bags. At daybreak, the light comes through the tent. I jump up and out of my sleeping bag and open the tent zipper. And my dad is there, still fast asleep in the same spot. He's perfectly fine. As for everything else, it looked like a tornado came ripping through the campsite, knocking everything over. Brian started tapping me. He then pointed into the woods, and you could actually see where something huge knocked over some small dead trees, smashed through some bushes, and even left somewhat of a dirty hand or claw print on the side of my tent. My parents still didn't believe us, despite seeing all of this. They shrugged it off as a bear. After we packed up, Brian and I told my parents one second we were going to walk in the woods and look at something. 
What we actually looked at was the rock that he threw, but what we found was much worse. It was a doe, maybe the one from the night before, its belly ripped open, legs mangled. They never believed us anyway, so we never told my parents about what we found. And sadly, Brian never went camping with me again. But would you? Hush, don't be scared anymore. The masked phantoms, the walkers of skin, and those weird canine monsters in the woods, they're gone now. But they'll be back. They always come back. Just as you and I eat two or three times a day, those things in the woods need their prey. Be careful. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own, and you want other people to read it, or even have me narrate it, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate, or you can check out my merch store where you can buy some creepy shirts. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about five real encounters with the Dog Man. Bedwer Howell says, Woof. Hush, boy, you're going to get us kicked out of the apartment. Mr. Lemons 12 says, I just love Dog Man stories. Well, stay tuned, Mr. Lemons, because man-dog stories are coming next. Man-dogs are notorious about complaining about their arthritis. Rachel Rader says, This is why I carry milk bones in my pocket. <sighs> well, when I was little, I used to like the taste of dog food, so I'd probably love some milk bones. Vegan Jinx says, They're supposed to be one of the mountains 45 minutes from where I live in North Carolina. Pretty wild. Hey, if you decide to film it, live stream it. I want to see that. Moon Princess says, call me crazy, but I'd love to see a dogman, werewolf, or anything supernatural, really. A lot of us here would, but I don't think we realize just how dangerous that might be. Oh well, worth it. And Ryder Walton says, I just imagine one of these dogmen has to be a pug. And he'd be extra cute, even if he had some breathing problems. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome people. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Today I've got an assortment of five different stories featuring hungry, hungry water horses, kind of polite lycanthropes, and farm demons that have absolutely no respect for your personal space. Spooky, I know. Enjoy these stories, and don't forget to drink eight cups of holy water every day. If you have a scary story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. Dumping in the Woods 
This story is about real people being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was 13 at the time. My best friend and I both boarded our horses at the same riding stable. It was summer break, and we were there first thing in the morning until it got dark. Our stables were next to a few houses with only a chain-link fence between us. We would always notice the neighbor lady. We thought she was pretty cool. The only time we would see her, though, was when she would step out onto her porch and wait for whoever was picking her up that day. The best way to describe her is she always looked like a girl from a heavy metal music video. Big hair, red lips, sunglasses, high heels, and short dress or skirt. This happened daily, to the point where, like clockwork, she would step out of her door, dressed all up, wave to us, then get picked up in some fancy car. The last time we saw her, she was wearing a fur coat with spiked high heel shoes. She waved to us, and this time a fancy limo picked her up. The following day, we got to the stables really early because we had planned to take a ride out in the local forest. We were always told not to ride there without adults because it was a distance away, but nobody would know. We were about five minutes away into the woods, and our horses began acting up. We stopped to listen when we could hear digging. Not animal wildlife digging. It was the obvious sound of a metal shovel hitting dirt. We weren't riding on the actual trail. We'd gone off the trail straight away. As we rode up the hill, we saw a minivan parked there. This wasn't the kind of public area where you should see a vehicle parked, so it startled us. The digging we had heard was coming from there. Apparently, we startled the guy that was there with his van, because he quickly grabbed his shovel, grabbed a black garbage bag, put them in his van, and left. Extremely odd, right? Maybe we'd caught him dumping trash illegally in the woods, and that's why he acted the way he did. We rode down to where the van was parked, and we saw that he had been digging a hole, a good-sized one at that, until we interrupted him. People that dump trash just dump it. What they don't do is drive to a spot through the woods that I didn't think a van could even reach, dig a hole in that deep, rocky dirt, all just to bury bags full of your TV dinner boxes. Besides the unfinished hole, there were several cigarette butts, an empty bottle of something, maybe vodka. This guy had been here a while, digging that hole. We got off our horses to go behind a tree and use the bathroom. We tightened up our cinches and headed back to the stables. Doing that, though, we ended up uncovering something in the leaves. It appeared to be duct tape. There was even a silver charm from what appeared to be a necklace or bracelet. It was in the shape of a dolphin. A couple of days go by, and we noticed we hadn't seen the neighbor lady, and for some reason her dogs that always roamed free in the yard were chained up. The day after that, those dogs are still chained up. They're agitated, barking and whining. This was very strange, and I was concerned if the dogs were being fed at all. Before we left to go home from the stables, we mentioned our concerns about the well-being of the dogs to the adult that was there, 
The next morning, we get to the stables, and there's a yellow caution tape and a news van and cop cars all around. The dogs were gone. The owner of the stables told us to come to the office. They had us call our parents to pick us up. They didn't give us a reason at the time. That night on the evening news, we saw it all. The reporter was standing in front of that house where the lady lived. The porch that she would stand on and wave to us was torn up. They pulled out five black trash bags taped with duct tape, and inside the bags were human remains. The dogs were tied up because they were trying to get to them. A few days go by, and they say the remains were of the woman that owned the house. Her name was Denise. I never knew her name before. They showed footage of the suspect of her killing, being arrested at his home, and in the driveway was the minivan we saw that day in the woods. We must have rode up on him attempting to hide the bags of other body parts. That's extremely disturbing to recall. He then must have waited until nighttime to put the bags under her porch and tie up those dogs. This all happened in the 90s in Southern California, and it's something I'll never forget. Dogmen East of France My roommate and I encountered something strange during a walk in the woods. This happened in mid-April this year on a Saturday around 4.30 p.m. The vegetation was just beginning to bud. It was a mild sunny day, some very pleasant weather at the beginning of spring. We were looking for a place, after going shopping, to go for a walk with my little dog. We spotted from the road a forest driveway that seemed appropriate. I had moved to the region three months earlier, so I hadn't gone out too much and explored. This place was entirely new to me. I had Leo, the dog, on a leash, and fortunately I didn't let him go. I had no idea what was about to happen. When we entered the driveway, I silenced my roommate for a moment, because I noticed some turtle doves singing, but in a way that I hadn't heard before. They seemed like they were yelling instead of their usual songs. I said with a smirk, as if to joke at the moment, Well, I don't think we're alone out here anymore. We resumed our conversation while continuing to walk. As we did, all of a sudden I stopped, because I saw something moving down the path at the edge of the trees. It seemed to be a dog, but far bigger than mine, far bigger than me, actually. I told my roommate that I'd rather turn around. I wouldn't want that thing to be tangled up with Leo, because poor little Leo would not survive. However, I was very intrigued by its color. It was a deep, deep black, like a moving shadow. I raised an eyebrow and wondered, is that really a dog? Because it was beginning not to look like one at all. But being in doubt, I turned around and began to accelerate the pace back to my car. My roommate stayed behind to observe the animal better. I was walking for a couple of minutes, when all of a sudden, I hear her screaming behind me. Eveline, run! 
Without looking back, convinced that what I thought was a dog was coming after us, I began running. Leo followed me without hesitating. I arrive a few meters from the car, and I stop to catch my breath. I open the door and bring up Leo. Then my gaze returns to the trail, and there I see a man of immense size, a giant of a man, with a black ebony coat entering the forest. My roommate, three feet away from me, was looking at him, and then came back to the car. What was also shocking were the strides he made. We guessed that they were very large, impossible for a human being. After we started the car, we were both in shock from what we'd seen. My roommate explained to me that, after I turned the car around, she saw this creature enter the trail. It had a strange gait about it, as if it was slipping or tripping constantly. Then she picked up her speed and began to go up the trail back to the car, but she kept an eye on it. She saw its lower limbs that appeared to be those of a dog. Its chest was really wide. You could see how powerful it was just by looking at it. Its upper limbs, I can't say arms at this point, descended all the way to the knees. At one point, she saw it turn its head, and its profile was canine in shape. A few seconds passed with the creature looking at her before it just decided to turn back into the woods and walk away. The two of us remained shocked for a while after driving away. What did we see? A few weeks later, we returned to the scene, and as we got out of the car, we looked at each other, acknowledging that that thing was still out there. We realized then we didn't have the courage to enter the trail once more, so we stayed away from it and found somewhere else to walk Leo. Something was in my bedroom. I'd like to preface this story that I wasn't much of a believer in the supernatural, until I was 20 years old. I was in my third year of college, and had gotten my first apartment. I was really excited. After living in dorms for two years, I was tired of the college shenanigans students got up to in the dorms. I've always been more of a quiet guy. It was a small apartment, and my roommate, who I found through an ad posting, was a bit of a pompous jerk. He was an art student, and acted like everyone else was somehow beneath him. I didn't care, though. That suited me just fine. He kept to himself, and I kept to myself, for the most part. He did have this annoying habit of going through my assigned cabinets in the kitchen and rearranging them, saying that they made no sense to him. He would get mad when I put them back the way I wanted. He had some control issues. So I'd been living there for a couple of months, and things were pretty good. I went to school, came home, studied, cuddled with my old Siamese cat, Sam. She was always sweet to me, but could be pretty aggressive with other people and animals. But then, one night, something happened that I'll never forget. I woke up to the sensation of something on my back. Now, I sleep on my stomach, and I just assumed my cat decided to lay on top of me, which wasn't too weird. It was hot in the middle of August in Georgia. Sam, I said half asleep. It's too hot. Get off me. 
I shifted my body around, but didn't feel her move off. I was starting to get a little annoyed and was starting to wake up a bit more. But then I heard Sam let out a hiss and a feline growl. That really got my attention, because it wasn't coming from behind me. I opened my eyes and I could see the silhouette of my cat on my desk, the lights from the parking lot coming in from the window behind her. She appeared to be crouched defensively with her ears pulled back. I became aware that what was on my back was not my cat and was far heavier than Sam anyway. It had more the weight of a mid-sized to large dog. My heart pounded because I had no idea what was on me. I began to push myself up and turn over, afraid of what I was going to find. But before I could get myself turned over, the weight on my back shifted, like whatever it was had suddenly set up and became much heavier. I could feel two distinct points applying pressure to my shoulders. I was forced down flat onto my stomach. I closed my eyes out of fear. I could feel breath on my cheek and ear. It had a smell to it that reminded me of sulfur and rotten eggs. What came next will haunt me till the day I die. A vicious growl that was almost like a dog's snarl, only it had distorted and unnatural quality to it. Whatever this was, I knew now that it meant to do me harm. The malicious intent was radiating from it. I kept my eyes closed, but I could feel the tears welling up in my eyes. I'm going to die, I thought. Being a science major, I've always considered myself more of an agnostic, not religious, but I was raised Catholic, and at this point the only thing I could think of was to pray. I'm actually a little ashamed to admit it. it. Makes me feel like I was a desperate coward, that I would just roll over and die rather than fight. But I digress. So I pulled out the first prayer that came to mind, probably the same prayer that comes to mind for anyone, the Lord's Prayer. I started to pray, and I could feel the breath on my cheek again as it let out another growl. I could feel its weight shifting down onto my shoulders more. My eyes stayed closed. I had barely rattled off the first two lines of the prayer when I suddenly felt the weight dissipate. It didn't jump off of me. It just evaporated. I kept my eyes closed still, crying in unfinished prayer. When I opened my eyes, I could still see the cat on my desk. It was crouching there, clearly angry at something. I shakily reached over to my bedside lamp and turned it on. I looked over my shoulder, then turned over, but there was nothing. I crawled out of bed and walked over to the bedroom door. The door was locked. I checked the closet too, but it was empty. The room felt stuffy even more so than normal for summer. So I turned the fan on. I didn't go back to sleep that night. The next day, I told my roommate that I wanted a priest to come by and bless my bedroom and the house. I made up some story about it being an Irish tradition to bless your home because I couldn't bring myself to tell him what I'd experienced. He was furious that I wanted to have a priest over and said it was stupid. Like I said, he was a bit of a jerk but I didn't care. I told him we'd stay out of his room and let him know when one was coming by, in case he didn't want to be here, if it upset him that much. 
and we left it at that. I wouldn't say this experience made me a religious person by any means, but I would definitely say it has made me much, much more open-minded to spiritual and metaphysical concepts, like ghosts and demons. I don't know what was in my room. Maybe it was a demon or an evil entity, maybe it wasn't. But what I am saying is that I can't explain or rationalize it away. I know what sleep paralysis is, and from my understanding, people that have had episodes of it can't move or even speak during an episode. Maybe they can, but I'm no expert. I'll say that I will never not remember that night and the fear it left me with. It came from the sea. I am a simple Irish lad, and I lived there most of my life. I was a bit obsessed with cultures and history, so I tended to see the world as often as I could. I was traveling around Northern Ireland. It was my vacation, and I loved to visit my Scottish side of the family around Christmas who lived there. My Scottish relatives moved to Northern Ireland a few years ago, so I was making my way to their town. I'm from Dublin so it wasn't one of my longer adventures. And everything was going well at the time. I'd been driving a while and decided to stop and take a bit of a break. I parked on the side of the road, expecting to get a nice relaxing walk in. Just down a short path from where I'd parked, there seemed to be a shoreline, so that's where I headed, expecting a peaceful journey. Quite some time had passed, and I'd made it far down the shoreline, when I noticed something strange. I thought that I was looking at the outline of a man in the water, but it was winter, mind you. This man was way out there, not moving by the looks of it. The closer I got, the stranger it seemed, for the man started to look increasingly wrong by the second. His body was so thin, and his proportions seemed disfigured. His head looked a bit big, and his arms hung down like anchors. It was at this moment that I realized that his head was tilted in a very eerie and banjaxed manner. I needed to get a closer look at it, so I moved closer only to find myself frozen still. I could see him very clearly now, just facing me with the eyeless visage of a corpse. This thing's body seemed to lack skin to cover its disgusting features. The eye sockets were pitch black, its head had a few strands of black hairs, and the tipless mouth gave a chilling grin, filled with pointed teeth. I couldn't bear to look at the thing much longer, so I hurried back to my car. Just before I made it to the trail that led to my car, I was stopped by a strange noise, like that of a drowning horse. I turned to face the water only to be greeted by the head of what appeared to be a horse rising out of the waves. This horse looked just as dead as the man from earlier, only something was different. I stood for about three seconds before I saw that the horse had one eye, one glowing yellow eye. My heart nearly stopped when I saw the horse walking towards me, and on its back was the hideous corpse that I had seen previously. At this point, I smelled an awful, wretched scent in the air as that creature let out another nightmarish cry. Instantly, I received a terrible, sickly feeling. 
but I wasn't about to hang around to become some demon's snack. So I turned and sprinted to my car. I did not stop until I actually reached it, puking just before I literally jumped in and sped away. The whole time I drove, I would look in my rearview mirror to make sure I was safe. I couldn't escape that awful putrid smell until I finally reached the closest town. Once I made it to my relative's house, it was already nightfall. My uncle came out and greeted me, and it didn't take long for him to realize that something was off for me. He asked me if something was wrong, so I explained my experience to him. He sighed and patted me on the shoulder before walking me inside and preparing tea. Once we settled in inside, he told me stories that his grandfather used to tell him, stories about a demon from their old folk tales. These tales described the exact monster that I'd witnessed, a creature that frightened people for generations. Some may know it as the Kelpie or Water Horse, but I'll remember it as the thing I don't ever want to see again. Horror on the Old Farm When I was around five years old, my family moved into an old farmhouse in Ohio. Now, I can't say that I've got perfect memory at times, but what happened in this house I can remember every single chilling memory of. It started on the night we moved in. My younger brother and myself chose our bedrooms, which were on the second floor. He got the second biggest room right beside two staircases, one in the hallway leading to the three technically four bedrooms. The second staircase was behind a door in Riley, my brother's room, but it led to a bedroom with a staircase leading down to the ballroom, or rather an area that looked like a ballroom. But the room I had was the biggest. It had three huge windows, a small closet, and a smaller window leading to the overhang of the front door. We set up my bed under the second huge window and had the other two on either side of my bed. We moved in on the very first night and settled down. My parents were downstairs in one of the bigger bedrooms. Being downstairs was much easier for my pregnant mother, and was only three to four months before she was to give birth. My two older siblings had come with us as well, staying in the last two rooms. Anyway, that first night, we all went to bed early. It was peaceful until something woke me up around midnight. I know it was midnight because my mother had been teaching me how to tell time for a couple of years at this point. Now, I never wake up this late in the night, never had before. I normally woke up really early in the morning back then, and that was normal, around five in the morning. I was slightly more mature then, though, so I didn't get up from my bed or call out to anyone. I simply sat up and began to rub my hands over my eyes. Then I tried to figure out what awoke me. I looked out the window on my right side to see nothing, then checked the window behind my back and again nothing. Then finally I checked the window on my left, but still nothing. Nothing that could have awakened me. I was about to give up and lay back down to go to sleep, until I remembered the last window that was in my room the tiny window beside the closet that was about three feet away from my left window. 
I looked into the direction to put my nerves to rest and go back to sleep. I wish now that I'd just gone back to bed and never looked at that window that night. Leaning against the glass of the window was a huge, shadowy figure of a man with burning, bright red eyes. When I saw the figure, I thought it was Kyle checking up on me and my siblings, but then I locked eyes with his eyes, and I realized it wasn't him. I was frozen, fearful and terrified, staring into his eyes, which felt like they were digging a hole into my brain. I didn't move. I didn't look away. I could have, but it felt like if I had, I would have stopped breathing. But I was five, so I couldn't have thought of holding it for a moment or two. The moment this being had moved, I screamed so loud and closed my eyes, hiding my eyes away from this thing's glare. My older brother, who had stayed up late to read a book, heard me screaming and came running to my room. When he burst into my room, he ran straight to me and grabbed me, calling my name to get me to stop screaming. He had gotten me to calm down for a few minutes of him talking with me quietly, but I was still terrified. I told him about the being by my window and how it tried to get closer to me, but he said something chilling to me. He said, But we're the only ones in the room, and I didn't see anyone else when I got in here. That scared me even more. I didn't stay in that room the rest of the night. I stayed with Jordan for the rest of it. And until a month before I was to turn six years old, strange and terrifying things kept happening in that house. I never felt more safe and protected until we moved out of it. I'll say this. I never wanted to leave a house faster than that very moment. And I'll never return to it if it's the last thing I ever don't do. Some kids had race car bats. Other kids had big old bunk beds. But after hearing these stories, I would go back in time to tell my kid self to build a fortress bed. Because no moat full of alligators is big enough for the crap people claim to see and experience out there. And I'd rather be ready for it. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a creepy experience of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you'd like to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my merch store where you can get some creepy Darkness Prevails merchandise. And there's a link to my Patreon where you can help us stay afloat. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about six dark forest horror stories. Brittany Kimbrough says, I think I'm addicted to your channel. Well, be sure to contact the Poison Control Center, because this stuff is scary toxic. Rio Runner says, I definitely won't be going into the woods anytime soon. Ah, come on now. If anything, these stories make me want to live in the woods until something eats me. The Human says, You know what's scarier than the woods? knowing that tomorrow has Monday. Well, hello, past people. It's me, Darkness from Wednesday, and I can tell you now, Wednesday is way better than Monday. Heartache and Whiskey says, Ah, perfect timing for cleaning on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Hello, Darkness from Canada. That sounds pretty fun.
I've actually found myself enjoying doing dishes and watching YouTube videos every morning. And Ryder Walton says, Got injured at work. Just what I needed to rest and recover. Fear is the best medicine. Well, glad I can help, and I hope your recovery is a fast one. Well, that brings me to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are on the way soon. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Exes come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends, ex-friends. All too often do our relationships destruct and leave massive rifts or just flames of anger and regret. So today, thanks to Kumquat of Love's suggestion and recent breakup, I've got some psycho ex-horror stories for you. Best of luck to you, Kumquat. And I hope you all enjoy these stories about creepy exes that went too far. If you have a scary experience of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. My Stalker Ex-Girlfriend This is a story about my insane ex who stalked me. At the time of the story, I was 19 and had just graduated high school. My junior year, I went through a wannabe redneck phase and used to party and drink a lot to fit in. It was an embarrassing phase, but because of it, I met the girl I thought was my soulmate. I was so wrong, though. At the end of my junior year, my friend invited me to a massive field party. He himself would be throwing it. I pulled into the field that night in my truck, and I started to drink. Before I knew it, I was ten beers deep, and honestly, I forgot where I was. I remember thinking about how much I hated the music that was playing. I think it was Luke Bryan. I was getting mad, getting ready to walk up and smash whichever stereo was playing that crappy music, when she walked up to me. She tapped on the door of my truck and asked if I was there with anyone. I told her, nah, it's just me. She looked familiar, but I couldn't quite put my finger on how I knew her. She asked if she could sit with me, and I said yes. She climbed into my truck and sat down next to me. I asked her what her name was. I admitted that she looked familiar. She responded and told me that we went to the same school. She said she was a grade below me. To shorten the story, I was drunk. She was drunk, things happened, and the next thing I knew, we were a couple. That next morning, I woke up in the cab of my truck and saw her just staring at me. I asked what happened, and she told me everything. We went on several dates after that. Things went well. Toward the end of the next summer, all of my friends had abandoned me then, and I became a sort of edgy outcast. 
I went from one phase to another. I mean, full-on wearing a trench coat every day kind of edgy. Aside from having fewer friends, nothing really changed. The first week of the next school year went by normally. One Friday night, I went to see my girlfriend. Her parents weren't home, but I was eager to see her. I knocked on her door, but I didn't receive an answer. I then noticed a bicycle along the side of her garage. I recognized it. It belonged to this creepy 30-something-year-old loser who sells weed. Immediately, I was worried. She had shown me where her parents kept the spare key. I was to use it in case of an emergency. And as I didn't trust that sketchy guy, I decided to use it. I walked in and immediately was hit with the smell of weed. I had a bad feeling right then. I already knew what I was going to see. She was sleeping with him in exchange for weed. I didn't even know she smoked weed. I ended up getting into a fight with the guy. After that, I told her never to speak to me again. After that dramatic incident, I thought the two of us were done. That's the way I wanted it. I didn't want anything to do with her anymore. Fast forward two weeks. I hadn't seen her around at school, and I hadn't received any texts or phone calls. I was sure it was as over as I thought. But as I couldn't get her off my mind as easily as I thought I could, I called up one of my closest friends and asked if he wanted to go for some target practice at his family's property. He obliged, so I grabbed my rifle and began to head over to his place, radio blaring as I drove through town. At one point, I looked into my rearview mirror, and I could see some headlights behind me. I thought, no big deal. I got about halfway there. I must have been out of town at that point for about 15 minutes, when I decided to stop at a mom-and-pop gas station on the way there to grab a pack of cigarettes and a monster. I walked into the gas station, got what I wanted, and walked out. I then noticed on the far end of the parking lot a blue Mustang, just like my ex's. I didn't pay much mind to it. There were plenty of blue Mustangs around here. I turned on my truck, but at that same moment the Mustang turned on as well. I pulled out of the parking lot, and that car followed me. It followed me until I pulled into my buddy's driveway, and as I drove down the long driveway, I saw it turn around and drive by three more times. I was getting worried at this point. I told my buddy about it. He said to me, Well, we'll just keep an eye out for it. Honestly, I did feel a bit better because we had some rifles. We walked outside of his cabin and out to his homemade shooting range, complete with concrete retaining wall. I started letting loose with my rifle. Once I was running low on ammo, we both suddenly heard a vehicle coming down the driveway at a high speed. I asked if he invited anyone, and he shook his head. We assumed maybe it was his parents coming home, so we ignored it for a moment and kept on going. When we were ready to head back and things got quiet, I began to hear a familiar voice whispering to me, but it was a bit too distant to make out what it was saying. My buddy looked at me and said, 
We should probably get back to the cabin now. I agreed. We grabbed the rifles and hiked to the cabin in his woods. We got back and powered on the generator on the back porch, and we began to settle in, when suddenly something smacked against the front door. We both jumped, looked at each other, and then went to investigate. My friend was closer to the door. When he looked outside before I did, he said without turning, So, you might want to go hide upstairs or something. I chuckled and asked why. He then looked at me, dead in the eye, with a serious face, and said, I think your ex is outside, and she's got a knife. I thought he was kidding me, so I promptly responded with another chuckle. I told him, Stop it, dude. Don't bullcrap me. But he shook his head and said he was serious. Then we heard someone outside screaming, I opened the curtains to the front window, and sure enough, she was standing out there, holding a large kitchen knife. She was singing that same crappy Luke Bryan song from the night we met. I was angry and a little bit creeped out. I swung the door open and screamed at her to leave, and when I did, she charged right at me. My buddy yanked me back inside and slammed the door shut, locking it. I was in shock. I sat there on the floor. My friend said he'd call 911, but neither of us had our cell phones. Then I heard her outside screaming the lyrics to that song. Eventually, we realized that there were two of us and one of her, and we had rifles. So we grabbed the rifles, readied them, and then pushed the door open. But she was gone now. We made the walk back to his house without incident, completely on edge the entire time. Once we got to the driveway, sure enough, her blue Mustang sat behind my truck, blocking it in the driveway. I also noticed that all four of my tires had been splashed, but she was nowhere to be seen. We finally had our phones again, so we called 911. They found that girl hiding in a neighbor's goat barn. Apparently, she had been doing some very hard substances, and she was sent to jail. Luckily for me, I haven't seen her since that night, and I never want to again. One Crazy Ex I'm still young, but most of all my relationships have been abusive in some way. This is not the story of my worst relationship, but the story of my strangest. I was 16 years old, and I had a very pronounced figure for that age, which got me a lot of unwanted attention from my male peers. I was tired of it, honestly. Tired of teen boys. So I decided if I were going to have a boyfriend, it would be with someone older than me. I met a boy from my school who was tall and attractive. Quiet, but not to the point he seemed creepy. He was two years older than me. Mature. Funny. Someone who seemed to be a wonderful guy. He was good friends with my neighbor who was a party girl. They were very much into substances, but I didn't know that at the time. I saw him all the time since he was always a house over, 
as he frequently visited a neighbor of mine named Lily. I often went on walks around town with Lily, and the boy in question, who I'll call Guy for this story, would come along with us. Guy was very different from how he acted in school. He was loud and perverted and drank a lot in person. I was his friend for maybe five months. During this time, I had a huge crush on him. He always called me pretty and said how I was so different from other girls. And despite the attention I got back then, I was insecure and I fell for those compliments. We eventually kissed and that's where everything became more real. We were an item and he was very public about it. For the first two months, it was great. He took me out on dates, bought me gifts, showered me with affection, and constantly told me how I was his forever, how much he loved me. Honestly, I was struck. It was the first time I'd been treated this way by another person, and I fell hard. Soon summer came about, and Guy began to show his true colors. It was our four-month, month anniversary, you could say. He picked me up in his truck and took me out, telling me it was a surprise. But the surprise was apparently a house party. Now, I'm not a party person. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I hate loud music, and large crowds suck the energy right out of me. He knew this. When he parked, he told me, lighten up for a change and have some fun. Stop being so boring. And then he referred to me as a female dog, for whatever reason. It was the first time he'd ever said anything that negative to me. Sure, we'd had a couple of arguments, but I wasn't about to have another terrible relationship. Then again, I was really into him, so even though I was hurt, I brushed it off and walked into the first party I've ever been to. To sum up the entire event, I was having a terrible time. Random guys kept hitting on me and touching me, and I just wanted to go home. But the only way for that to happen was to find Guy. I asked around, and a few people said he was upstairs. I walked upstairs, calling out for Guy, but I wasn't the only one calling out his name. My neighbor was as well. Though she wasn't trying to find him, she was doing it with him. I just stared on, had no idea what to say. Guy ran after me, but instead of trying to come up with an excuse or apologize, he kept down-talking me, blaming me, telling me that because I wasn't doing things like that with him, it was my fault, and he had to find someone that would. I left him on the spot. I was crying when I called a good friend of mine who drove me home. The next morning, he kept calling me and texting me, trying to apologize. He drove to my house, where I kindly handed him back the gifts he had bought me, and that made him mad. He threw everything down and called me many profanities and stormed off. I heard from him for about five weeks when the news came around that Lily was pregnant, with none other than Guy's baby. So Guy moved in with Lily. Good for him, but that meant that for the next seven months he harassed me, as he lived so close to me. On one occasion, he broke in through my window. I'm not sure if he was trying to find me, but I wasn't there at the time. 
Instead of finding me, he stole some things of mine. He even attacked my brother, and they got into a fight. He tried to steal my dog. He tried to manipulate my friends and get them to turn against me. He threw alcohol bottles all over my lawn. We'd had enough and called the cops on him. I'll never forget the day he came out in handcuffs. The whole time I was dating him, and the seven months he was there, he was apparently selling different substances. When he was caught, he was sentenced to ten years. Two weeks later, Lily had the baby. But I know it wasn't Guy's, because Guy had a different shade of skin entirely. My Husband's Crazy Ex I recently got married. It's wonderful, but the road to getting there was really bumpy. Before getting into it, here are some details. I'm 25 and my husband is 26. He is a pre-tea and pre-surgery trans man. Before meeting me, he, let's say, got around. He broke a few hearts along the way and there are a number of angry women in his past, but one in particular sticks out. He and this girl had been hooking up, they never actually dated, when he met me. We were friends at first, but it became pretty clear to everyone but us for a while that we were crazy about each other. But that girl could not stand me. We eventually began dating, and he called things off with the girl. Cue incessant stalking. She called him 30 times a day as well as emails and texts, Messages saying she needed him and all that. So I was at his place one weekend, when his cell phone starts ringing off the hook. It's her. I was tired and hungover at the time, so I groggily switch his phone off. He tells me she'll come to the house if she can't get through on the phone. So I shrug it off and go back to sleep, thinking my would-be husband is more trouble than he's worth. Not twenty minutes later, his dog starts going bananas, Someone's in the front yard, and you guessed it, it was her. She starts banging on the front door and screaming. He turns his phone on, only to be met with even more frantic phone calls from her. He yells from inside to her, saying that he's going to call the cops if she doesn't leave. But she's going on and on about something. I swear she said something along the lines of, we're going to go have brunch together, go get some drinks. Talk about how we're going to work this out. Then she starts talking about where I'm going to sleep tonight, because it's going to be her and him in our bed, instead of us. The two of us are dumbfounded by this. He tells her again to get lost. He ignores her calls to call the cops. At this point, she's banging on the bedroom window. This was weird, because he had moved his bedroom from one room to another and she hadn't been inside the house since then. So how did she know that was our room now? You also have to climb through ramble bushes to reach the window. Eventually, a police car pulls up the driveway, and she takes off. A few months go by, and my boyfriend and I are getting serious about one another. In general, we're really happy. Her stalking is still going on, but we kind of just brush it off at this point. She doesn't come to the house anymore, just calls and emails, an example of which read, 
Please can we talk? You can share him with me if you like. I'll just be a side thing. No one has to know. This girl was genuinely unstable. One weekend I was home, about two hours from my boyfriend's place, and he calls me saying there's been a break-in. Nothing was stolen and the person was gone, but they had cut themselves on the window and gotten blood everywhere. I was horrified, but he was calm about it. The police came and took statements and that was pretty much the end of it. Until two weeks later, there's another broken window. This time, my boyfriend's dog jumped out the broken window to chase off the person, and she hurt her paw. My boyfriend lived in a not-so-great area, but he's close to his neighbors, and he has a massive, scary-looking pit bull mix who'll bark at passing cars and people, never mind someone trying to break in. Neither of us could imagine seeing that dog and hearing that bark and still wanting to go into the house, unless you know the dog. She's a big softie if you get to know her, and wouldn't hurt a fly. This is how the two of us were convinced it was her, because had a stranger broken in, there would have been more blood. At this point, she began stalking me, popping up on all my social media. I was getting calls at all hours of the night, only to hear giggling or breathing, and then the other person would hang up. I get friend requests on Facebook, from her friends saying, Hey... She and I aren't friends anymore, and I wanted to get to know you since your boyfriend is such a good friend to us. But I didn't believe those comments for a second. My boyfriend received the same requests and messages from her so-called friends. It was funny at first, but it was beginning to take its toll on us. I didn't feel he was doing enough to stop this. He thought I was overreacting, so we argued about it often. Then one weekend, I was with my boyfriend for the first time in a while, since work had kept us both pretty tied up. We were at his place and decided to have some us time, if you catch my drift. He walked off to get a certain toy from our drawer. He came back to the couch, looking like he'd seen a ghost. When I asked what was wrong, he held up a pocket Bible and a post-it note. The Bible was not ours, and the note read, make good choices. This was confusing and creepy as hell. He said it was in his drawer where he kept two toys, one of which he personally bought just for me, but that one was missing. I know it sounds funny, but I was mortified. How had she gotten in? Was it actually her who did the break-ins? How did she know which one he and I used exclusively? again with the bedroom being moved. He immediately threatened her with a restraining order, but we felt as if we couldn't prove a darned thing without sounding crazy. She went quiet from there. Later on, the two of us got married and moved on with our lives, though from time to time she still sends him pleading emails every few weeks. But nothing else scary has happened. But if I ever see her in person... I'll try my best to get a message across that she needs to leave us alone. And Psycho Ex-Friend Before I explain my story, I should let you know how I was put in such an interesting position. I was in the sixth grade, for years, I had been bullied by my siblings, 
and my eldest sibling moved away. Being the middle child, I was cast aside. My youngest sibling was sickly and accident-prone. So being a well-behaved, good health, and does-well-in-school kid, I wasn't my parents' biggest concern. I'm still not. I also didn't have the best of friends at the time. They swore, they smoked weed, they were always talking about something perverted. Anyway, on to the story. One of my close friends was moving, so in order to keep touch, I added him on a messaging app called Kick. I've got a lot of weird stories about that app, but that's for another time. So me and my friend group all joined the same message group so we could talk to each other. This was going well until 7th grade. In 7th grade, I moved schools and lost touch with the six friends I had. I fell deeper into a depression. Then my friend who moved away texted me on kick. He added me to a group chat which had his girlfriend on it, one of his new friends, as well as someone who we were friends with before separating. Before long, we were all close friends, and I felt the weight lift off my shoulders. We all got along, before my old friend and his new girlfriend broke up. My friend ended up quitting social media for a while, so I never really caught his side of the story. Me, his ex-girlfriend, and his friend were all talking in our group chat one day, when his ex suddenly began to act strange. She would send really sad or angry quotes that had nothing to do with the conversation, so I decided to DM her. I started talking to her in our side chat and she just goes off. She begins telling me that she had cancer and that my old friend that had broke up with her was her light in this dark world. That's seriously how she said it. As I'm talking to her, I start to get more and more creeped out. She told me about her attempts on her own life and meant life wasn't worth living anymore. She said that I was lucky to be loved. She told me that she would find out where I lived somehow, so she could prove to me what real love meant. I ended up blocking her after that, because it honestly scared me. And my fear was reaffirmed when she began to stalk me. She even began to say that she'd kill me outright. I've since deleted Kick and found a new means of communicating with actual friends. It's been two years since that experience, and I hope it never happens again. I was afraid that someone really was going to come after me, because I've never encountered someone that talked like that. Someone who acted like they had nothing to lose, and was out to get me. Be careful who you talk to. Be even more careful who you let get close. Some people really do need some mental help. Friends are important in your life, so keep them close. But even when you think you know someone, they could just turn out to be a psycho. So keep them close at your own risk. You never know who's normal and who's ready for some human nuggets. Good night. Why do I feel hungry all of a sudden? I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Darkness Prevails. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. And send us your story at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links in the description. There's a link to my merch store, 
where you can buy some Darkness Prevails themed merchandise. And there's a link to my Patreon, where you can support the show and help us stay afloat. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode, about five random horror stories. Very Rare says, Hey, just got off work and getting on a train. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed. Also, now I'm super jelly, because I haven't been on a train in years. David Anthony says, Turn your lights off and let darkness prevail. Well, look at you people making way better slogans than I can come up with. The Forlorn Bat says, I'm going to be going into the woods soon. If I die, I'll submit my story to you. Oh, that's so sweet, Forlorn Bat. If a dead person sends me a story, I wonder what their IP address would be. Well, guess I'll find out soon. Caddy Vengeance says, Any holiday stories planned? Maybe for Christmas. I don't know about Thanksgiving, because my Thanksgiving plans always get in the way of my uploads this time of year. It's frustrating, but I'm sure you guys know how it goes. And Schmolbean says, I'm shook. Am I early enough for a shout-out? I always try, but these notifications come to me an hour after it uploads. Love you, Darkness. Yeah, I'll give you one, Schmolbean, because your name's cute and your profile pic is cute. Well, be grateful that you actually got a notification. Because, like me, a lot of people don't get notifications for many of their subscribed channels. That's frustrating. I mean, it's called subscribe for a reason. Right, YouTube? Uh, are you there? Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. It doesn't matter what people say. Everyone, to some extent, fears the dark. It's natural. Things hunt at night. Animals use the dark to prey on other animals. Even people. It's in our DNA to fear that something in the dark is just about to pounce on us. But apparently, that fear is still quite relevant. These are five disturbing after-dark stories that will keep you up until sunrise. If you have a creepy story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. Never Stop on Amboy Road When I first arrived as a new boot, it was September. The Marine Corps ball was a couple of months away, and my unit was having ours in Las Vegas. Well, our chain of command gathered all the Marines together who hadn't been stationed on the base before or were new, and me and my roommate were told to join this meeting. When we got into the classroom briefing room, the sergeant major and CO were standing at the front of the room with serious looks on their faces. We thought we were in trouble at first. But once everyone had entered and were seated, 
the sergeant major spoke up. He was a big dude, served multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. Overall, a guy you wouldn't want to face off against. He looked at us and said, With the Marine Corps ball approaching and none of you guys having been stationed here, we wanted to give you a quick safety brief for your trip to Vegas. There's a road called Amboy Road, he began. It's the fastest route to and from Vegas, but I recommend you fellas take the long way. It's a dangerous drive there, being no gas stations and no cell service once you leave 29 Palms, until you reach the outskirts of Vegas. Me and my roommate were confused at this. Why were the CO and Sergeant Major bringing us here just to tell us to take a different route to Vegas? That's when another Marine raised his hand to ask a question. It was a staff sergeant from one of the S shops. The S shops are basically where all the admin guys are located. The CO asks him what his question is, and he stands up and said, Sergeant Major, I'm confused. Why can't we take that route if it's the fastest? If gas is the problem, we can take some jerry cans with us. The CO motioned for him to sit back down and simply said, It's just a dangerous drive, especially late at night. With that, they dismissed us and we went back to work. I asked a corporal later why the headshed didn't want us taking Amboy, and he just told me that weird things happen on that road. I pressed him further, and he said that there was supposedly a cult that lives there, out in the mountains, and they tried to abduct people foolish enough to go out there, and allegedly some folks are never seen again. Now, me and my roommate just assumed that this was the older guys trying to prank and scare us. Your typical ghost story you tell the newbies. Fast forward to November and I'm getting ready to head to Vegas. I set out later that evening due to having to wait to pick up my blues from the cleaners. So instead of leaving around 3 like I had originally planned, I didn't leave until about 7. It was about a 3 hour drive to Vegas from 29 Palms. And by the time I was half an hour into the drive, it was quite dark outside. And despite the warnings, I decided to go down Amboy due to me getting a late start on the drive. I still had to pick up my date from the airport too. What I didn't know at the time is that I would come to regret that decision. As I was driving, I noticed that my GPS was no longer working correctly but I'd already looked ahead of time and found out that I didn't need to turn around until I got closer to Vegas. So I should be fine, I thought. I locked my phone and tossed it into the passenger seat of the truck. I checked the time on the clock, and it read 9.24. My date wouldn't be touching down for another two and a half hours, so I'd have time to check into the hotel and drop all the things off before I had to go pick her up. I was making good time, too. At least, I felt like I was. Then up ahead I noticed some hazard lights flashing on and off on the side of the road. I pulled up and I began to slow down, in case someone needed help with something. I know it sounds dumb, but I was a 19-year-old Marine who felt bulletproof. I didn't feel afraid of anything. As I drew closer, though, 
I noticed there was luggage scattered around the car. The windows on the driver's side and passenger side were busted, and I think there was blood inside the car on the windshield. I couldn't see the passenger side door, so I couldn't be sure if it was in the same condition or not. I never get out to check either, but I noticed that there were drag marks off on the side of the road, as if someone or something had dragged whoever was in the car out into the desert. My fearful mind was thinking this because I didn't see any bodies lying about. As I pulled up to the car, I pulled out a flashlight and shined it over into the car to see if I could see anything. As I peered inside the car, the hairs on the back of my neck stood straight up. Then I glanced in my rearview mirror. That's when I saw about four or five people in all white running up to the truck and they were carrying machetes and butcher knives. I hit the lock button and I gunned the engine just as the first one was about to grab the door handle. I looked into the rear view again to see if they were chasing me. That's when I felt a true, primal fear for the first time in my life. Two of them had grabbed onto my tailgate, and they were in the process of trying to pull themselves up into the bed. I could see their hands, but not their faces. I began to swerve and veer across the road to make it harder for them to pull themselves up. I saw one set of hands disappear into the night, but the other person had a death grip and was refusing to let go. I floored it, then glanced at the speedometer and saw I was creeping up almost 100 miles per hour. When I looked back, and this guy had managed to get one of his arms into the bed and had the tailgate between their arm and the rest of their body, but just as it appeared like they were going to make it, I hit a big bump in the road. I hit it with enough force that the bottom of my truck scraped the ground, forcing that person off the truck. The rest of the drive I didn't stop for anything. I didn't drop below 90 either. I went to Vegas and I pulled into a gas station just as my truck ran out of gas. I never drove down Amboy Road again after that and I made sure to tell anyone new to the base to avoid that road at all costs. And if you're listening, just so you're reminded, never stop for anything on Amboy Road. It whispered in my ear, It started with things going missing in our home. Mind you, the house we lived in was 200 years old, and there was a lot of history there. My mom had collected antique dolls. These things were worth quite a pretty penny, so we always kept them in the basement. According to her, it was the safest space we could come up with. One day, my mother wanted to take them up from the basement to clean them, so she and I went down there to grab them. Yet, when we went to look, they weren't there. Obviously, as anyone would, my mom began to freak out. A few days later, other odd things started going missing, and at this point, my family and I were irritated, and we began to blame one another, accusing us of moving things around 
accusing one another of even lying at times. One night I was having trouble going to sleep, so I laid there on my phone, looking through various social media and hoping that I'd get tired eventually. There were no TVs on in the house at the time, and also no one else was awake. I began to hear whispering. It sounded distant, but I thought maybe it was my parents talking. Soon it got louder, and then it sounded as if someone was whispering in my ear. I pulled the blankets over my head and just tried to sleep again. I finally got some sleep after some silent prayers. A few weeks after that, my mom had me go down into the basement with her again, and what I saw creeped me out so bad that I couldn't move. At the bottom of the steps into the basement, one of the dolls was standing straight up at the very bottom step, positioned in a way to stare up at you from the staircase. I froze, and my mom asked me what was wrong. I pointed the doll out to her, and my eyes went wide. She said to me, Katie, that's, that's not funny. Don't mess with me like that. I know you did that. I looked at her and wholeheartedly admitted, Mom, I swear that wasn't me. My eyes teared up when I said it from fear. It was that terrifying. I didn't want to even touch that doll anymore. I made my mom deal with it. And these days, I'm too scared to go in that basement alone. I'm in my twenties now, and I still refuse to go down there to this day. Creepy Events from My Homes in Arizona I moved down to Arizona in a small town off of Interstate 40 to live with my girlfriend just a few months back. I've suffered from sleep paralysis for years, but one day it just stopped happening, and I never really knew why. When I moved in with my girlfriend, she told me that creepy things happened to her in her apartment. I believed her, took her word for it, but I never really experienced anything until one night. On that night, she and I were asleep in our room, and we usually always close our bedroom door. In my opinion, it was more safety with another door in the way if someone broke in. But for some reason, our door was open that night, and I can't remember why. I woke up later in the night in total sleep paralysis at around 3 in the morning. I looked up to see the bedroom door open, as was the door to the room adjacent to us, in which my girlfriend's infant son was sleeping. I thought nothing of this until I couldn't move, and then I began to see a tall, shadowy figure standing in the doorway, staring directly at me. As I was paralyzed, I could not move, talk, shout, or scream. This figure watched me for a couple of minutes before showing a huge, unsettling grin to me. Once it noticed that I was looking at it, it put a finger over its mouth, as if to say to me, Hush, but no sound came out. Seconds later, I heard a maniacal laugh as this shadow shot into our son's room and slammed the door. 
I was finally able to scream, and I did so for what felt like hours. My girlfriend shot up and ran to her baby's room as he began to scream as well. She asked what had happened, and I refused to tell her. I ran with her to her son's room, but he would not stop screaming. Not until we took him out of his room and kept the lights on in the living room. Three days later, I told my girlfriend what happened, and since then we didn't really sleep too well until we decided to leave her apartment and move in with my parents. We stayed at their place for a while. Not many things happened at my parents' house. Some noises here and there. Nothing too crazy. Well, not until two months ago. I'd gone to bed early. I was exhausted. My girlfriend stayed up to watch TV in the living room. I was asleep no problem, until I woke up from a nightmare. Fast forward to last night, as of writing this that would have been November 20th. I read something about how if you can't sleep, or something keeps making you wake up in the middle of the night, it may be due to an evil entity. I didn't know if I believed that yet, but I definitely do now. I kept waking up in the middle of the night, hearing sounds that I'd never heard before. I was used to my dog walking around and doing his thing, but these other sounds, I had no idea where they were coming from. The worst of them was at our bedroom door, which was closed one night. Thankfully, I had it locked. I heard the doorknob trying to turn before it began to furiously jiggle, like someone was desperate to get inside. Then it was followed by a low groan of irritation. I knew everyone was asleep at the time. It was 3 a.m., and I even watched my parents go to bed that night, so no one was up to do these things. After the groan, I set up too scared to even breathe, because what if it wasn't paranormal? My girlfriend's son was in the next room. I needed to do something, right? Well, it wasn't a person that I could tell, because for the next three tiring and frightening hours, all I heard was a constant scratching on the middle of the door, followed by more groaning. So far, that's all that's happened, but I can't sleep much anymore. I can't even get up to get water or run to the bathroom, because I'm too scared. I don't know what I'll see. I have no idea what I'll hear next. University Next to the Graveyard Part 1 My aunt, who was in medical school 15 years ago, had some of the richest stories to tell. Her university and dorm happened to be located next to a century-old graveyard obscured by thick woods. She told me of how one of her classmates was up past midnight, cramming for his exams in his dorm room by the window. Someone suddenly knocked on the glass and proceeded to talk to him. Exhausted from studying, he didn't bother to pull up the curtains. Instead, he just sat there conversing with whoever was on the other side of the window. They talked about their schedules, how stressful the finals period was for everyone, especially the medical students, who have densely packed timetables and rigorous training. 
Eventually, the person on the other side of the window wished him good night and good luck. Then they left, so the classmate went back to his studies. It was almost dawn when he decided to take a break and go for a walk. When he happened to open his dorm room door, he remembered something that he somehow forgot. His dorm room was on the second floor, and none of the rooms had balconies. There was no ledge or column outside the windows for anyone to climb or latch onto. Whoever the person who knocked on his window was, whoever chatted with him just seconds ago, had to either be floating or seated on a very long ladder, or maybe they were just freakishly tall. As he was so stressed out and tired, he didn't realize this detail when he chatted with the person. And luckily, according to my aunt, his stress and exhaustion came in handy, because if he hadn't been so drained and overwhelmed at the time, he most likely would have done the courteous thing. You know, pulling the curtains apart and greeting your visitor face to face. God only knows what he would have seen on the other side of the glass. Part 2 My aunt told me a different story about her friends at university. This time she said there was a girl who lived in the same dorm who was supposedly clairvoyant. They say that the girl's clairvoyance meant that the dead looked as real as the living at times, so she was oblivious to the true nature of certain things. This girl always went home to her parents just before the weekend started and would return to the dorm on Sunday nights. The girl claimed that she always saw a flea market near the graveyard. It was only ever there on Sunday nights, when she was returning to campus. As she doesn't really go out at night, and she was well stocked with necessities in her dorm, she never really felt the need to go explore the flea market. Just a few weeks before graduation, she decided to stay that weekend on campus, so that she could have a farewell celebration with her classmates and housemates before they got consumed by finals. She remembered the weekly nocturnal flea market nearby, and so she suggested that they all go since she had never been to it. She assumed that her friends had been there before because it was close by, and her friends rarely left for home like she did. They all shot strange looks at her, wondering what she was talking about. She insisted that the flea market will always be in the same spot on the same day of the week during the night, as she saw it every week without fail. That Sunday night, her friends made her show them what she was talking about. The group soon stood at the edge of the campus. She then pointed in the direction of the graveyard and thick woods, and described it to her friends, how it was a typical flea market with lights hung across the makeshift alleyways, it had tents with stalls underneath that had tables of goods and vendors were hustling while people of all ages and backgrounds walked around. But her friends didn't see it. They were looking at dark trees, heavy foliage, which nearly covered up the tombstones and silent shadows. One of the friends, a clinical psychology major, forced the girl to undergo an examination for schizophrenia and other mental health issues the following few weeks, 
while another friend who was a trainee pathologist requested a toxicology test and interviewed her friends to determine if there was a substance being used. By the time they graduated and completed all necessary tests, the girl was given a clean bill of health. This is when they found out from the girl's parents that they believed themselves that she may have some sort of gift. After graduation, none of them remained on that campus. Even those who wanted to further their degrees applied to other universities. Part 3 Mayan's university was well known for its science department, especially their schools for botany and entomology, which was why their first-year undergraduate students were often made to do field reports and specimen collection in the surrounding area. The students had to do their field work in two phases, diurnal and nocturnal, for comparative analysis. There was never an issue from their excursions during the day, but their nighttime excursions were absolutely legendary. Even students in the non-science departments were privy to what occurred to the first-year undergraduate students of botany and entomology. Basically, it was like an annual routine. In the first three months of the start of the new academic year, there would be young men and women sprinting towards the security office on campus, screaming for help between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m. Their stories were almost identical in every time it happened. They would be doing field work in the woods and bushes around the campus. They would see women with long hair, glowing red, green, or yellow eyes, fangs and claws, wearing white dresses, levitating near the treetops, or sitting on tree branches. Although attacks by these creatures were rare, the sight of them was scary enough to launch the poor students into a scramble for safety. The safety of an illuminated office with uniformed men, of course. Even though this happened every year like clockwork, not all botany and entomology students experienced it, because each class would be split into 15 groups, consisting of at least five members in each group. So it really was down to a group's luck or lack of it, if they saw something other than plants and insects. As for my aunt, she personally didn't experience anything creepy while she was a student there, but she, like her friends, worked in a different area after graduation, and when she applied to study a postgraduate degree, she of course chose a school that is a long distance away from her previous one. Chicago Skinwalker Chicago is considered a dangerous city, but who would have thought a creature of the night like this would have considered a major populated city like Chicago to be its own personal meat market? It was a week away from Halloween. Me and a few friends of mine began hitting the spooky stuff a touch harder than normal. But it was the time of year for it, so we were having fun. One night, we had just left a bar and started making our way up Western to 82nd Street. We lived only a couple blocks away. It was a long trip by foot, but it was midnight. We needed to go home, and we didn't have money for an Uber or taxi. 
and who couldn't use some extra exercise. We decided to cut through Dan Ryan Park. We knew a guy there who could help us score some bud on the way home. We soon made it to this little roundabout in the park. There was no one else there at the time, which even then was unusual because there were often homeless people out and about, or a dealer or two here and there. I looked at Jack, my friend, and said, So, uh, where's your guy? Jack replied, Ah, just wait. He always comes. So we waited and waited, and the night grew colder and darker. Later on, we heard a strange noise. There weren't any other sounds around us, so the noise sort of echoed and remained quite clear. It sounded like twigs breaking. No, that's not right. It was more moist than that. If I had to say, it was like bones snapping underneath someone's skin. But that's not the worst part. It also sounded like someone was eating very sloppily. Jack and I began looking around. As we did, Jack taps me on the shoulder and he says, Look. Twenty feet away from us, we see what appear to be sneakers. We walk around, and it's someone lying down, and something is on top of them. Whatever it is, it's long and extremely skinny, with charcoal-colored skin, a head that was elongated, with ears that were long and pointed like some kind of elf. It had a tail, too, and it moved it back and forth as it chewed, like a cat enjoying itself while eating. We're just gazing at whatever this thing is until one of us steps on something, giving away our position. The creature's head snaps towards us, and its jaw is open, revealing many sharp and jagged teeth. It rose up to its feet and was much taller than us, before we could make a mad and terrified dash away from it. It jumped over us, and I swear to God, before my eyes, the creature was suddenly a deer. It was now twenty-five feet away in the other direction. It looked at us, just like a deer would. For a moment, I swear its eyes reflected the color red. Then it took off. We were so scared. We ran as quickly as we could until we found a police car and we stopped them, spilling everything we could. He took us back to where we saw the body, but it was gone now, not a trace of red around either. We were locked up for the night, having been drinking, and I don't know about you, but I was happy to be in that jail. I won't be walking through any parks at night in Chicago. Going out after dark? Bad idea. The best that could happen is you simply get sprayed by a skunk. But if you're any bit unluckier than that, you could just end up a sloppy wet mess in the middle of a park in Chicago. Because skinwalkers get quite hungry at night. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a scary experience you want to share, 
send it to us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, use the links below. There's a link to my merch store where you can get Darkness Prevails and monster-themed merchandise. And there's a link to my Patreon where you can donate to help keep the show afloat. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about four psycho exes from hell. FVF says, was about to go to sleep, but I guess I'll stay up late tonight. Thanks, Darkness. Love from France. I just want you to know, FVF, that I've been enjoying these cookies or biscuits I get at Walmart called Petite Ecolier. I don't know how to pronounce it, but they're from France and they're amazing, so thank you. I have a micro shaft, says, LOL, Luke Bryan isn't really country. To be honest, he's more like pop country. I do enjoy country music, but to be honest, I stick with the stuff before the late 90s. Morton Vad says, when are you going to narrate some ghost stories? Well, today was supposed to be a real ghost stories day, but then I completely read the story that was labeled a ghost story, the first one, and it turned out not to be a ghost story and I didn't want to waste it because it was a good story. So now it's just After Dark stories. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Kane7ify says, Yandere's? Basically, maybe I should make a Yandere video. And Blackrose says, Enjoying pizza and a new Darkness Prevails video. Well, if it makes you happier, I ate pizza during this video. Well, I mean, while making it. And I think it made it even better. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to support me. They're so awesome. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. state of Virginia to my heart for all time afterward. I may jump from event to event, which spans years in between. This wasn't just one roller coaster ride of the strange. My family, which consisted of my mother, my brother, sister, and myself, moved from Camden, New Jersey back in 91. I was 14 years old then. We had moved into my aunt's home in Falls Church, Virginia, a huge change from the crime and grime-ridden Camden that I was used to. Falls Church was peaceful, quiet at night, and clean. We were surrounded by trees and utter peace. Such a big difference, and I have to tell you that Camden was not without its own sort of oddness. The sun just didn't shine right there and there was always some sort of deep aggression to the place, as if something was feeding off of the people's despair. 
This was one of the major driving factors my mother had for wanting us to have a better life away from crime and peer pressure. Camden just swallows you if you let it. So we bounced. My aunt's home was small but large at the same time as it was filled with brightness and hope. It was like a cottage, you could say, with a big old backyard and a swing set under a large oak tree. Our yard bordered into the neighbor's yard, divided by a short chain-link fence. And then there was the bamboo foliage, where the first of many of my sightings in Virginia began. The bedroom that my brother and I shared had two windows, one of which looked out into the yard over the fence line, into those bamboos. Now, we had moved in during the summer. Nothing happened then, but when autumn came around, things got colorful. It was just before dawn on a Saturday morning. I'd gotten up to use the restroom at about 4 a.m. The house was dead quiet. I finished my business and headed back to bed. Since the bathroom had its own nightlight, that saved my eyes from having to readjust to the dark. And I think if my eyes had been affected by any more brightness, I probably would have missed out on the festivities in the yard. As I was getting back into bed, I looked out the window and saw what I thought were Christmas lights blowing in the wind. Now, who in the world would turn on their crimbo lights this early in the fall? swinging there in the wind and not stapled down or anything of the sort. I looked at the trees and the bushes outside, yet none of them were swaying to any sort of breeze. They were all still as a photograph, yet the lights were swirling over the bamboo as if to a tune of music, a song that I could not hear. I quickly woke up my younger brother, he was rather irritated that I rousted him from a beauty rest. He asked me why I did that, and just to make sure I wasn't hallucinating, I had him take a look outside without telling him what I saw. I had to know that what it was was real. Firstly, my brother rubbed the sleep out of his eyes. Then he began to stare hard. Then he looked at me, and the first thing he said was, what the heck are those? What do you see? I replied. It's like... It's like Christmas lights blowing away. This confirmed that he had seen it too. Those were some rather large Christmas lights. I told him. But there's no wind. Look at the trees. And sure enough, he and I gawked at the lights as two kids at a fully decorated Christmas tree... He asked me what they were, again, and all I could tell him was, maybe they're fairies. These lights were orange, blue, red, pink, and green, even some peach-colored. They were about the size of golf balls, and semi-translucent. They were the most beautiful things I'd ever seen, and there were hundreds of them around. They danced in the air above the bamboo, like it was some sort of welcome-to-fall party. We stared on in complete amazement. My brother says to me, Do you hear that? I focused more, 
and, indeed, there was some music being played, but it was quite faint. Then my stupid self decided to open the window to get a better listen, and the window pane stuck. It did that when the paint would stick to the sides, and you really had to wrench it up. Then, pop, the sound the window made when it finally came loose from the stickiness, it caused the festival of light to come to an end. All those lights froze in place for a moment, as if startled, then flew off in one direction, disappearing and fading away as they went. This was my visual introduction to what I consider the magic of the state, an innocent introduction, because things would escalate from there, or perhaps descend into madness. A few years later, my sister saw tiny Native American Indians messing with our stuff in the closet. Yeah, that sounds bizarre, I know. She had gotten up to use the bathroom, and these little ones spoke English to her, as a basketball they'd been playing with rolled out of the closet. They apologized for their intrusion and promised to set it right again before they left. Sure enough, they did just that, only one shelf lower than it was before. Sometime after that, I was twenty-one then, my brother and I were on an outing with some friends. I was somewhat of a chaperone. We were in a closed park on a trail. We were looking for a place to sit down, drink a bit, and tell some stories. While traversing the path, my brother and his friends noticed two rather bright lights far back on the trail. They looked like bluish-white light, the sort you might see from a mag light. I thought it was the police, so being the eldest in the group, I would go see to be sure. I walked toward where the lights were seen, all the while thinking to myself, I hope it's not the police. But when I got to the spot where the lights were seen, I was met with darkness and stillness. I felt no ill will or fear, but a strange sense of calmness and peace. And then I saw them, two bluish-white orbs. They looked like the thinnest blown glass spheres, lit from within by living light. Both of them seemed to observe me. One of them flew off, the other stayed and rested on a leaf. The leaf moved as if a weight was on it. The orb began to flicker, and it seemed like it was trying to communicate. I stared at it for a while. The other orb came back eventually, and as if to say to the other one, hey, let's go, the two then departed together. A few years after that, crap really started to get personal and disturbing. Having nearly drowned at Virginia Beach and revived on shore, things for me really took a bad turn. It's true what they say about having come close to death. It changes you. And the activity that I witnessed got worse. I swear, when I saw these things, they saw me too. They knew I was watching. One day after an uneventful day at work, I got home feeling run down. 
My mother was in the kitchen cooking dinner. I said my hello and moseyed on over to my room. I left the door open and I lay on the bed facing the open wide door during the daylight hours. It was then that I felt a strange sensation run up my body, starting at my legs. It was like a tremor of some sort, ending at the top of my head. I couldn't move. My door was only five feet from me. It was open, and I couldn't move or yell for help at all. Sleep paralysis. Then I could feel a pressure on the bed, as if someone was in there walking on it. Whoever was there rested their weight on my back. I was physically pushed into the bed, and then I felt the hot breath on the back of my neck, breathing, blowing its hot, dry, furnace-heated breath into my ear. It was getting a kick out of the fear I was producing. Then I heard it speak to me. It sounded like a bull had become fluent in human speech. You are mine. You will serve me. All I could respond after gathering myself a bit and freaking out was, No, I don't want to. Leave me alone. And with a... See you again. It didn't sound pleased. As soon as I regained movement, I popped out of bed, and I checked my shorts. Clean, thank goodness. I then went to the kitchen to ask my mother if she had heard anything, or if there was anything or anyone else in the house. She said no, said everything had been quiet and that there was no one in the house other than us. But she did remark on the fact that I had lost color in my face, and she told me to get some rest. I didn't do that. Instead, I stayed in the living room until bedtime, hoping that that was a sleep paralysis hallucination. That wasn't real, was it? Three days passed, all went well at work and at home. On the night of the third day, I was getting the alarm clock ready for the next day. I sat it on the windowsill, turned out the lights, and rotated my blinds to let only some of the street light in, to see by if I had to get up in the middle of the night to use the toilet. The moment my head hit the pillow, I felt that tremor begin. Before I could react... Someone put their weight onto my back again, pinning me once more to my own bed. I thought it was a break-in. My room was the first one in our hallway. After that, it's my mother's, and I was not about to let someone hurt my family. Adrenaline rushing, I was beyond mad, the kind of anger that superseded fear. I managed to wrench my left arm free, and with it, I pushed myself up, to get this attacker off my back. As I got up, I turned to meet my assailant head-on, and what I came face to face with was not a man, not a normal man. His face is something I cannot forget. The two of us stared at one another for a while, 
His skin was stark white, his eyes black and sunken in, like a shark's eyes, and his nose was hooked, a face framed in long, oily, stringy, scraggly hair, with a goatee in similar condition. He stared at me and smirked. I quickly turned away, and with strength I did not know I possessed, I jumped from where I laid to my feet, switching on the lights, like some sort of cartoon cat. The room was clear, though. My heart pounding and I was trembling, I went to check on my mother, but she was fine. But I did not sleep in that room for the next six weeks. For the years following that, I saw shadows at the corner of my eyes and constant visitations by spectral groping hands. My nights would be something I feared for eight straight years. I got rid of my occult belongings. I found some sort of religion, but that seemed to go to the things that would follow me. Though I did manage to shake them after I got baptized, I used prayer as a defense as well. One of my best friends who has since passed away back in 2017, may he rest in peace, they had needed some help with some house-sitting, and I was the only person he trusted. Though he was Mormon and there was the whole congregation he could have called on, I was the one he chose. Maybe they were all busy, I don't know. He rings me up, and I agree to help him out for a few weeks. Now he's out of town during all this with his family, and he tells me where he hid the extra set of keys outside in the garden. I find them and move in to watch his home till they come back from Jerusalem. I got my airbed with an 18-inch rise, bedding, my art supplies, my radio alarm clock, and of course my EBT card, so I could feed myself while I was there. Things went well and good for the entire run until the final week that I was there. I spent my time there drawing, and if I wasn't doing that, I would be reading. And once bedtime came around, I got ready for bed, taking some melatonin to help with the not being able to sleep thing. In the middle of the night, I felt something in bed with me. Something small, so I assumed it was a rat still plenty freaky enough for me to get up. I began to move my legs to make a sort of snare trap. I wanted to capture it and put it outside. I wasn't going to hurt the little thing. It was going to be a catch-and-release scenario. When I pulled the covers back to see if I could calm it down, try to let it know I meant no harm, I see that I wasn't snaring a rat. Not even close. It looked like a furry brown tennis ball with beady eyes and teeth. Mouth opened up like Pac-Man. I held this thing in my hand. It was fuzzy and warm. You could feel the workings of bone and muscle underneath. But bones like plates under furred skin. It was a little growling ball with teeth. It vibrated and seemed afraid. And I was stupefied into still silence, not knowing what to do. Then that's when I noticed movement in the corner of the room, all ten inches high of it, a silhouette of some wide-bodied, waddling thing. 
As it came closer to me, I could see what it was, and to me, it seemed to be a gnome. An honest-to-goodness gnome, decked out in leathers and furs, with a conical hat made of some sort of animal skin. I set the ball of fur on the carpet before it, and it rolled right over to the gnome. It's master, I guess. The little man had a long braided beard, eyes like a deer and a wide nose. I'm sure he had a mouth under that beard as well, but it was covered. The gnome moved rather confidently over to the side of my bed and used the bedding to climb up to meet me face to face. I was excited, but didn't want to do anything to scare him. I felt I'd already done enough with scaring his poor pet. The gnome was now standing next to my pillow, looking at me like he wanted to punch me. He squinted his eyes and tilted his head, as if thinking, what now? I decided to try to ask his name, try to be friendly. That's when the deepest, loudest sound I'd ever heard came booming, in a voice that should not be able to come from his tiny frame. That gnome bellowed out to me, hitting me like a ton of bricks. You see, the sound apparently was hitting my brain directly, because though his lips were moving, the sound or words he was saying were bypassing my ears. They echoed right inside my mind. When I asked him what his name was and leaned in, the little guy got defensive and yelled out, Buck. He had a strange accent, and he said it repeatedly. Only now I know he was trying to say, Back. The sound must have been his defensive power. After the seventh utterance of the word, I was out like a light. When I opened my eyes again, it was 7 a.m. To me, it felt as if I just closed my eyes for a split second. And boom, there's the sunshine, blaring into my room. Until I met that loud little guy. His little Muppet-like pet, made of teeth and fur, reminded me of that old thing from the Dark Crystal film. Maybe that will help you understand what I was seeing. That's what it reminded me of, anyway. We would move again several times. I moved into my sister's house at a point. Talk about stressful. My sister is a well-meaning person, but she will stress the ever-living crap out of you. This is how I believe those entities track you, via your negative energy. They must pick up on it like bloodhounds. Then we moved again this time to Middleburg, Virginia. Look it up. It's a gorgeous town. We moved into a rather new building and had the huge finished basement level. I had a big room with a door facing the stairs and another door facing the living area, which had a huge bay window with a view of the forest beyond it. I even had my own bathroom. The room itself was L-shaped. My sister's master bedroom was humongous and she shared it with her two kids. Things were great there, for a while at least. Things got weird at night, though. Did I mention that we shared this house with my sister's best friend? She had the upper levels. Her father lived with us, too. The old man fancied himself a shaman of sorts. 
He spoke of the spirits of the land, how the house had to be blessed and made into a pathway for the spirits to travel through. I thought two things of the old man, cool and odd. The old man was not joking around either. Indeed, there were odd goings on in the house. He opened it all up for whatever to pass through, like it was some paranormal superhighway. We saw things in the field. One time I saw a childlike humanoid on the side of the road, trying to thumb a ride. It was dressed in those good plastic bags you get from fancy mall shops. It was the height of a four-year-old kid. It either had luxurious long blonde hair, or it was wearing a wig. Its eyes were huge behind the Coke bottle glasses, and its smile stretched from ear to ear, a large, joker-like grin. Thankfully, that thing was outside, because I probably would have freaked out if it ran up to me, laughing maniacally. Being in the house during the day, when everyone is away at work or school, while I was homesick with thyroid medication withdrawals, it was something I hated. I would walk the dogs, which would never leave my side. They acted like there was something in the house they were afraid of. And I mean they would cower and whine whenever I would leave them by themselves for any period of time. It was like something was following them, stalking them. I would hear movement upstairs from time to time, like children running from room to room, jumping up and down, going from the bed to the floor and repeat, and no one would be home, just me and the dogs. I've heard the laughter of, well, not children, and I hated hearing those sounds. I figured, oh well, at least they're not pissed. I would hate to have vengeful spirits running in the home, and those little bastards would knock on doors during the early minutes of the morning, just as the sun was coming up. I didn't think they were evil. They never really buggered us during the night, just during the daytime hours. Demons don't dig the day, I thought. They'd still screw with you, though, during the day, but not with the same ferocity of their night antics. The things we had running through our house were definitely not human, nor did they actually seem to be demonic, but more fairy folk, playing, frolicking, making merry in the house. Their behavior was never malicious or mean. The dogs feared them, yeah, but the dogs could not understand what they were. The last weeks we were staying in this house, these fae folk really did their best to say hello, or was it goodbye? Whatever it was, they had their own way of doing it. My L-shaped room, as you remember, had the two doors at either end. The door leading to the stairs in the hallway, with the bathroom right next to it, and the door that opens to the living room. Down the hall and to the right is my sister's bedroom with the French double-doored entrance. During that night, my room was pitch black, and I had no windows in there. It was super dark. The light from the smoke detector is a green LED, and for some reason on this occasion, it was shining like a darn spotlight. A bright green spotlight shining on a child-sized humanoid. I wasn't alone in my room that night. The color of the light bathing the small form in a green, it made the skin of the thing look green as well. The little person or thing was a well-proportioned small person. 
Its hair was cut short, and the physique of it was toned and covered in some sort of skin-tight unitard that looked to be made of leaves and lichen. The face, I couldn't tell if this was male or female. The eyes were slanted up at the corners. They were kind, though, and had an expression of curiosity. There was no sign of aggression or malice. I felt at ease and thought I was dreaming at first. But the small little being looked at me, and it smiled, then slipped back into the dark as the green spotlight dimmed and went back to its normal self. I got up, and I turned on the lights and checked out the entire room. My doors were locked. That creature just faded away from existence, or sight, as if there were no doors or walls at all. After pondering this, I went to the bathroom and checked the hallway, and then I went back to sleep. Only to be awakened at the crack of sunlight, there was enough light now that I could see the room around me, and that's when my night visitor from before came back and kneeled next to me. I turned to face it. It placed one of its small hands on my shoulder and gave me a gentle little pat like you would pat a scared child or a pet. Perhaps that was its way of telling me that it came in peace. I was still groggy, though, not feeling scared yet. I thought my nephew was in my room trying to wake me up, so when it put its dainty hand on my shoulder, I placed my hand on its knee so I could move it out of the way of the blanket and turn over completely. My hand landed on something cooler, though, cooler than room temperature. It was the temperature of an autumn day, cool and dry. The material I touched was like stitched or woven together leaves and moss, and it asked me a question that I could not understand. I'm not sure it was even in English, and it was spoken different than the speed at which humans spoke. But it sounded like, do you have an ally? As I think back on it, but what actually came out of its mouth was, Do you have an army? Still being out of it, I tried to make sense of what it was saying, what was going on, and it repeated this question. When I did not understand it, it gave me another pat on the shoulder, shook its head at me, and went back to the same place it disappeared to during the night. I got up after that, needing to make sure I saw what I saw. I flung open my door and checked the entire floor. Then I knocked on my sister's door. She was livid now because apparently I'd been knocking on her door all night. But I hadn't been doing that. I asked her if her son had been in my room trying to scare me and she said no. But asked me why I'd been knocking on her door every five minutes. I swore to her it wasn't me, but the look on my face convinced her that I indeed was telling her the truth. Her shih tzu was growling as well, and her dog never growled at me. There have been many more instances of weirdness, but I no longer feel afraid of them. I understand now that this is all a part of nature, a side of nature that most people wouldn't be used to. We have to respect them and their world, but it seems like humans keep cutting into their sacred places. We've forgotten when we used to walk alongside them, 
Now we betray them and their nature. We should be mindful of the woodland spaces and those within. We need to relearn to be afraid of what we should fear and to give respect where it's due. I fear that there are lines we've crossed and the creatures of the forest have their warriors ready to make themselves known and they have made themselves known. All in all, Virginia is one hell of a special and energized place. Though it's terrifying, I do miss it. It was New Year's Eve in 2013. My parents and I pulled up to my grandfather's house in literally the middle of nowhere in Colorado. It was a few hours away from the beginning of 2014, but I groaned. We had driven three hours to get to the one place where I had nothing to do. Sure, I could play a mobile game or text my friends on my iPhone 5, but the signal was bad up here, and even sending a simple text took a while. I walked into the house and instantly went to the living room. It was my favorite place in that house, because usually nobody was in there and it had a TV that may be playing something interesting. I entered the room and was immediately disappointed. Because I wasn't alone, my uncle was sitting on one end of the couch. Plus, I hated my uncle. He never hurt me physically, but he found it entertaining to mess with my mental health. I suffered from anxiety, and his constant name-calling and slandering comments didn't help at all. You could easily say that I should have just ignored him, but I took everything he said personally. That was just the way I was. The worst part was the fact that my parents had no idea. When I tried to tell them in the past, my uncle talked to my parents after the fact, and it was all dismissed as playful banter. But for now, I was in the living room with my uncle. Determined not to let him get to me this time, I sat down at the other end of the couch, and I watched the college football game that was on at the moment. I do remember that my uncle did make a few comments, but I shrugged them off. Eventually, I pulled out my phone and started texting. Texting your boyfriend? Asked my uncle smugly. You know I'm straight, I muttered back. You see, I have no problem with the gender that anyone identifies with. I have some amazing friends, a good number of which identify as many different genders, and I don't respect them any less than I would a straight person. My uncle, on the other hand, didn't respect people of other identifications. It just gave me another reason to hate him. Fine, are you texting your girlfriend then? He asked. Yeah, I replied, proudly. I'd started dating a girl named Alicia a few months beforehand and our relationship lasted for a long time. In fact, we're still friends today. Really? He asked. I didn't think anyone would date your adopted fat self. I looked up at him. What do you mean by that? I asked. Oh, sorry, said my uncle with a smirk. I guess you don't know. Don't know what? I asked. That you're adopted, he replied. Very funny, I said, turning away. Oh, I'm not joking he said. You're adopted, and I can prove it. 
He pulled out his phone and pulled up a picture of a document. It took me a second to recognize them as adoption papers. That included my name and the unmistakable signatures of my parents at the bottom. I had watched my parents sign things with those signatures time after time and I could see that they were accurate. I suddenly felt sick. I'm, I'm going for a walk. I walked out of the room and put on my boots. 11 p.m., the clock by the door read. I'm not sure why I remember that detail, but I do. I got outside, and I just walked. I didn't care where I went, I just wanted to be alone. I wandered into the woods close to the house with my phone's flashlight as my only source of light. I didn't care, though. I was upset. Very upset. Everything I thought I knew was a lie. I fought back tears as I picked up my pace into the thicker woods. I finally just looked up and realized I was in trouble. I turned in every direction, but the house was not in sight. I turned to my phone's map to try to find where I was, but I had no connection out here. Panic overtook my sadness, and I ran to try to find a way out. After running for a few minutes, I discovered a small clearing with a singular tree in the middle of it. I came to the conclusion that I was going to climb that tree to get a better view. But just as I began to climb, I heard a tree branch snap in the distance, and I froze. I heard the faint crunching of leaves getting closer. It could be someone else. They could help me. I don't know why to this day, but before I'd even seen what was coming, my body jumped into fight or flight. My adrenaline popped, and I quickly went into the tree line to watch from afar. I turned off my phone light, so my only light was the moon. I heard the crunches enter the clearing, and my curiosity took over me. I peeked out from behind the tree, and I saw the outline of something massive. But somehow I could tell it wasn't a normal animal. Just the way it was moving, it was walking on two legs, but its arms hung low. It looked about ten feet tall, and the only word that I can describe it with is unnatural. Suddenly, it screeched a horrible, horrible sound. Then it left the clearing. I was horrified. I ran as far away from the clearing as I could, and somehow, I found my way back to the house. My mom soon saw me and ran to me. She told me she was incredibly worried. Unable to tell her about what I saw, I looked up and asked about what my uncle told me. That was the night I found out I truly was adopted. My parents and my grandfather were furious with my uncle, and after that night they cut off all contact with them. New Year's proceeded as normal. I had just arrived in time for the countdown and everyone gathered in the living room to watch it. Slowly, as people got tired, they trickled out of the living room until it was just me and my grandpa. I couldn't sleep, and I knew I wouldn't that night. My grandfather suddenly turned to me. What'd you see out there? He asked. 
You wouldn't believe me. I replied. Try me. He said, scooting closer to me. I told him truthfully what I saw, and instead of laughing, which I thought he would do, he was totally serious with me. I've seen it too, he told me, a few times in fact, and I think it lives around here. Promise me you'll never go into those woods alone. I nodded my head to say yes. My grandfather stayed up with me that night, and even though he wasn't my true grandfather, we really grew closer. I loved that man, but he sadly passed away in 2018. I've been back to that house a few times since, but I've never seen the thing again. After my grandfather passed, someone bought the house. I hope they stay safe because they may not know what they're getting into. Nothing really changed between me and my parents, and I still love them extraordinarily, but the terror I felt that night will affect me forever. Wendigo in Indiana Forest From Flint the Dragon 1 It was January of 2019. My boyfriend asked me to reshoot a scene of a short horror film that we had worked on for his film class. I agreed to, because the scene we were reshooting was set in the forest about an hour away, so no problem. Then again, the past few times we'd been filming there, it was full of arguing, but we were able to hold together to make a bad short film. But I still enjoyed being in the woods for a change. The last time I'd gone camping at that point, I was seven, and I hadn't really been in a forest since then. I have lived in Indiana my whole life, and I was fascinated by cryptids. I knew what we saw that day. I was the lead actor in the film, playing a man who was driven insane during a walk in the woods with his best friend. The title of the film would become Ironic, but I'll save it for last. There were three of us, filming. Our friend who was tasked with makeup and being the camerawoman, and with my boyfriend and I as the actors. The only prop we had was a paper deer skull mask, and as you can gather from the prop, the film involved a Wendigo. As I said before, I enjoyed the last few visits to that forest, but this time, I felt uneasy. That entire shooting session, I felt as if something was watching us, but I didn't know what it was. Later on, I began to see movement through the forest. I couldn't make it out. I told my boyfriend about it, and he jokingly said I was seeing Bigfoot. I ignored his joke, but I didn't rule out Bigfoot as being what I saw. I wish it had been Bigfoot, and I wish our camera had night mode. After finishing part of the scene, we noticed it had started to get dark, so we did our makeup quickly. My friend who was doing the makeup didn't have enough time to make it professional, but it still looked great. The bruises looked real and the fake blood had smeared great. When we got to the location for the final shot, the camera wasn't getting any light, so we opted for an audio ending to the film. As we packed up the camera, my boyfriend turned and looked into the surrounding trees, and 
He froze. I looked in the direction he was staring at, and our friend did the same. Through the trees we saw a tall, lanky figure walking around. From what we could tell, it had pale white skin and long, claw-like fingers. I haven't told my boyfriend or friend about this, but I saw its face. It had sunken pits in place of its eyes. It didn't seem to have lips either, but I could see teeth. They were sharp, and it appeared to be drooling. The moonlight reflected off of something dripping from its mouth. My boyfriend said we should get out of there, and he gave me his pocket knife as we made our way back to the car carefully. As we neared the parking lot, I heard slow steps coming from behind us, like that thing was stalking us. We made it to the parking lot, and I heard it run deeper into the woods. I was the last to get into the car, and as I opened the door, I heard this blood-curdling shriek from the forest. It had an unnatural tone to it. I quickly got into the car, and we drove away. We didn't talk about it during the drive. My boyfriend was visibly shaken. We dropped our friend off at her house, and my boyfriend dropped me off at mine, then went home. I told my mom about what we saw, and she asked if I knew what it was. I said honestly, it looked like a wendigo and not the deer-skull-faced kind. It looked like what the original legends described, like it had been human at one point. I wanted to go back to where we saw it, but I decided against that, knowing that I couldn't fight back if things took a turn for the worse, and I'm not a small guy, neither is my boyfriend. But if the legends are true, we wouldn't have been able to overpower it. I haven't been in the forest since, I still have the mask. I kept it as a reminder of my encounter with that Wendigo. And as for the title of the short film we'd made, I'd given it the title of the first day of filming, not knowing we would even encounter that on the last day. It's titled, Wendigo Woods. I haven't seen the film, but I hope to see it at some point, just to see if we may have caught it on camera. I'll post an update on this when I watch the film, and let you know if I see anything. The Wendigo That Followed Me Home From Austin C. This happened back in December 2020 in the Great Lakes region of western New York State. It was a snowy night when this event happened. I had just gotten off work and it was getting dark out already. There was a decent amount of snow on the ground, while it was still coming down pretty heavily. So I thought it'd be fun to take my snowmobile out for a ride, since I didn't have anything else going on. Little did I know that would be a mistake, a mistake I would soon regret. For some background, I'm a 23-year-old guy and live alone in a pretty wooded area. There are a few farm fields surrounded by woods just down the road from me. I'm good friends with my neighbors who owned that land, and they let me ride on it. I went outside and the snow was still coming down pretty heavily, but that didn't deter me, because I love the snow. 
I opened up the garage, uncovered my snowmobile, and fired it up, letting it warm up for a few minutes. I put on my riding gear and grabbed my high-powered LED spotlight for backup. Then I was on my way. As I pulled off the road and entered one of the fields, I spotted a herd of deer along the edge of the field. They took off back into the woods when I got too close for their comfort. I rode around for a few more minutes when out of nowhere I got this overwhelming urge to shine my spotlight into a patch of cedar trees. I was about 25 yards away from them. I turned off the snowmobile's engine and pulled my spotlight out of the riding bag behind me. I shined the super bright LED light into the trees. It took me a few seconds to see it, but peeking out from behind one of the cedar trees, I see what looked to be a buck with large antlers. At least, that's what I thought it was, until I realized whatever this deer was had no eye shine like a normal deer. I could see the eyes on this deer were solid black and just empty. A normal deer would also not blatantly watch a person on a snowmobile from such a close distance. They'd run away like the herd of deer from before, but this one was staring daggers at me. Another feature that really stood out about this deer was it looked taller than a normal deer. Along with being very skinny and malnourished with missing patches of hair. At first, I didn't feel any fear, as I was in a state of complete disbelief and confusion as to whatever this abomination was in front of me. Then I remembered I've heard the Native American folklore stories about the Wendigo. I always thought stories about the Wendigo were just a boogeyman fairy tale to scare kids from going into the woods. This next part is the reason I still have nightmares about this creature. As I was still face to face with it, I very stupidly had the idea to yell out a question to it while trying to hold back the urge to laugh. Hey, are you a Wendigo? Obviously, I wasn't expecting a reply. But then, I kid you not, this creature replied to my question in a deep demonic voice. It said, yes. It then proceeded to laugh. That's when the immense fear and the urge to get out of there hit me like a freight train. I fired up the snowmobile, threw my spotlight in the riding bag behind me, and sped full throttle out of there. I almost wiped out a few times, getting back home from going so fast. I made it back in a few minutes, then scrambled into the garage. I parked the snowmobile and made sure every door and window was locked. I wish I could say this terrifying encounter ended here, but it didn't. Later that night after I'd gone to bed, I had a horrifying nightmare about that Wendigo. In it, I was being trapped in my house while this monstrosity was trying to break in to get me. It was speaking to me in that same voice. Austin, I can see you in there. I'm coming to get you. At that point, I woke up, startled in a cold sweat, and breathing heavily. I sat up in bed and looked around the dimly lit room. Peering in the window I hadn't shut the blinds to was that exact same monster 
that I'd seen on my snowmobile before, the one I'd seen in my nightmare, speaking those words that I thought were a dream. Except now, I was fully awake. But this time, while it was still staring daggers at me, it had a huge grin across its face, showing a row of razor-sharp teeth, and it was standing on two legs easily over seven feet tall. I could see even better now how much this monster looked like a rotting, decaying deer corpse. Needless to say, I screamed like a frightened child, and started fearfully choking out the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, even though I'm not much of a religious person. As I was forcing myself to recite that prayer, the monster began emitting this otherworldly growl, and it laughed again. When I finished the prayer with the word Amen, the monster was just gone. I didn't sleep the rest of that night, and dreadfully waited for it to come back. But it didn't. I went and stayed with my family until I could move out of that house, and I never told anyone the story until now, out of fear of sounding insane. Even though I'm doing better now and living in a more populated area, I'll still have haunting nightmares once in a while about that terrifying monstrosity. I avoided becoming a meal for a Wendigo. From Death Raptor. This pandemic has been really hard for me, as I can't see my friends outside of online classes. I'm an extreme extrovert. It was around 7.30 to 7.45, and it was winter, so it was already dark then. That's when I had my encounter. I was relaxing outside in my aunt and uncle's hot tub. They have a cabin up on Mount Hood in Oregon, with about one road that passes by the grounds. There's tall, medium, and small evergreen pines scattered about the landscape, with white snow on the ground from a fresh afternoon snowfall earlier in the day. I was sitting in the warm water, occasionally whistling out into the dark, since I enjoyed listening to the echo it made. I was making whistling sounds like the way you call your creatures an ark. So yeah, every so often I whistled, all the while I laid in the tub. I'd eventually realized I heard nothing except the light drizzle on the roof from the cold mountain rain. No birds, no other animals, and no people, except for my family. I whistled once more, but, weirdly enough, I heard what sounded like a reply a second or two after the whistle I emitted. I made the horror movie mistake of whistling again, and I got another reply. I was getting incredibly nervous. With newfound paranoia, I began to look around. My thoughts weren't fully on the darkness of the forest. I was thinking about teenage boy stuff mostly my girlfriend and overall missing her. The thing that really snapped me out of it was another whistle. I glanced around the forested expanse, and I noticed something that I didn't notice before. A set of yellow eyes staring at me from the woods, several feet off the ground. It seemed so unreal, as the only other experience I'd ever had like this was when I saw what appeared to be a Sasquatch with my older brother back in 2013 in Gaston. The eyes disappeared, and I didn't see them again. 
I somehow had the courage to be outside for about ten minutes after that, until the smart side of my brain said, Dude, get back in the cabin. I realized I didn't hear it leave, whatever it was. I got out of the hot tub immediately and went back into the cabin, changing and coming into my room that I was staying in. That's actually when I typed this up. After looking through similar stories and researching on Wikipedia, I realized I may have just avoided becoming the meal of a Wendigo. I doubt it may have been one, but if it was, I would have just told it I was too sweet, and it probably wanted something saltier. But I think whatever it was decided I wasn't worth its time, and my family was inside and the cabin had large windows, so they would have seen it if it tried anything. But I really don't know what to think. When I told my aunt that I was uncomfortable being outside, she thought I meant I was uncomfortable being alone outside. So if you're out past dark in the Northern Cascade mountain range, stay sharp and bring a friend. Stay safe out there, folks. Was it a Wendigo? From Parrots247 I'm 14 years old and from western North Carolina. This story takes place near Roan Mountain, Tennessee in December 2019. I believe I saw a Wendigo watching me. It all started late night a week before Christmas. I was sitting on my porch waiting for my mom to come stargazing with me. Yeah, I know it's weird, but it's something that my mother and I have always enjoyed doing. She was in her bedroom, which was adjacent to the porch, getting dressed. I was sitting on the porch waiting for her at around ten o'clock at night. I heard some rustling by a large bush and looked over. There I spotted two huge red eyes around four feet off the ground. I was staring at those eyes for what felt like forever. Then, all of a sudden, those eyes began to rise. I realized what they belonged to wasn't something small. It was huge. It walked out of the bush and seemed to be seven feet tall. I'm five foot ten, and I had to look up to it from about twenty-five feet away. It had pale skin, large claws, matted black hair and patches, and it was staring at me. Then it let out a low growl and took three steps towards me. I'm not sure if it was a he or she, because it had no genitalia, but it was built like a human man. I felt nothing but fear in that moment. For some unknown reason, it just turned away and walked in the opposite direction like nothing happened, and it was just going back home or something, or to the store or something else just as mundane. Then it walked behind my great-uncle's barn, and it disappeared. The next day I went to where it was, and there were footprints bigger than my hand, but they just stopped at the barn. I still sit out at the porch at night, but haven't seen anything like it since. I'd always heard of the Wendigo, coming from Cherokee descent, although I never thought I would see one for myself. If you're ever near Roan Mountain, Tennessee, be wary of what's in those woods, because you never know what you may see. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something in the way of you being happy? We all deserve a fair chance at happiness, 
I know at times, for me, I struggle to find motivation and energy just to enjoy the things I love. It doesn't have to be that way. Luckily, BetterHelp is here to lend a healing hand. BetterHelp is an online platform that makes getting help safe, quick, and easy. You can get connected to professional counseling in under 24 hours in a secure, private, online environment. You're free to send a message to your counselor anytime you need, with timely and thoughtful responses sent back to you. You can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Leave awkward waiting rooms behind. BetterHelp is even more affordable than offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. BetterHelp is available worldwide with professional counselors specializing in depression, grief, anxiety, sleeping, trauma, LGBT matters, and much more. So, you don't have to do this alone, and help is closer than it's ever been. Professional, convenient, affordable, confidential, BetterHelp is ready to help you. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com DPP. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash dpp. Thanks, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. Everything is frozen right now, thanks to a polar vortex or something. I've driven twice in my truck to go get food, and each time I've told my wife that I'm technically an ice road trucker. In all seriousness, many of the roads in the United States are dangerous at the moment. And yet there are men and women out there keeping us all fed. Truckers day and night deliver all the things that make modern life cozy. Though, with all that time on the road, I wonder what kind of creepy things they've seen. So here are some allegedly true and terrifying stories from truckers. Now, let's begin. Truckers Road from Backwoods Northwest. I have two stories. The first was paranormal and scary for other reasons. The second is scary and involved a trucker legend I'll give you info on when the time comes. Number one. I was driving OTR, or over the road, last year with a company that required trucks to have two drivers. When me and my co-driver met up, we set up a schedule. He would drive days and I would drive nights. For any other trucker reading or listening to this, I do actually like driving at night. I know, maybe that's weird. Moving on to the story, we were taking a load to Oregon from Missouri, driving on I-84 West in Wyoming, near Elks Mountain. It was near midnight, and while the weather wasn't that bad, it could have been better. A little rain and wind but, again, not bad. I'd hit my last fuel stop in the state, got some lunch, and rolled on. A little ways down, I saw a truck in the eastbound lane. It was every trucker's dream, a fire engine, red shiny chrome all over. The truck you see when you think of an 18-wheeler. It stuck out for three reasons. First, it was the only vehicle heading east on that stretch. Second, it was bright, like it was glowing, or there was a spotlight on it. 
Third, it had a huge cloud of fog right behind the cab, like it was pulling it along. This cloud stretched to cover the entire interstate, and as soon as the truck passed by, the fog was just gone. I looked in my mirror and didn't see anything. Then, not even five miles further, I was in a windstorm. I'm talking 60 plus mile per hour winds with gusts of 100 plus, pushing an 80,000 pound truck like it was nothing. As I was fighting to keep my truck on the road, I kept seeing the red one in my mind and thought maybe it was a warning. I yelled over at my co-driver to find the next best place for us to pull off at. Ten minutes and seven miles later, we were at a rest stop. We stayed there until late morning all the while fearing the wind would still flip the truck. Finally, at about 10 a.m., the wind died down, and my co-driver took off as we went to the next truck stop for coffee and food. I kid you not, along the way we spotted multiple other rigs on their sides, next to the highway, due to the storm. So, for anyone looking to drive across the country, if you see an old red and chrome ghost truck, you might just want to pull off on the next stop. This second story happened this week as of writing this. It also happened on I-84, but in Oregon. The event was when I saw the Black Dog. Now some info on the Black Dog. It's a trucker legend. If you're running yourself into the ground by falsifying your logs or working a second job or something like that, then you'll see the Black Dog up to three times from what I found out. It's said you see him if you end up falling asleep on the road. It's an omen that a fatal crash is on the way if you don't get off the road. The first time you see it somewhere, it's a warning to change something or stop. The second time, it makes you stop, putting an obstacle in your way or somehow sabotaging your truck to make you come to a stop in a relatively safe manner. The third time you see it, if you can bypass the obstacles or repair your truck and keep pushing on, will be a crash or fatal accident, killing you in some way or another. Now here's my experience. I was driving on I-84 in Oregon, talking to my wife via headset. That's when I saw it. I couldn't make out its features, because it was a black smoke cloud running across the road. But the cloud was in the shape of a dog, large enough to stand above the roof of the car in front of me. My immediate reaction was, crap, as a chill ran down my spine, and I got a bad gut feeling. My wife heard my reaction, and my tone change. I told her I saw the black dog. She instantly knew what I was talking about, and being more superstitious than me, she asked how many times I'd seen it. I told her once then slowed down and turned my radio off. I began to watch out for another. Luckily, nothing came so far, but further down the road, I did see a trooper with lights and sirens going back the way I came, followed by an ambulance. And I began to believe that that dog was not meant for me that day.
Trucking has its dangers. From Matthew 64 I've been a trucker almost my whole life. On the road, you're prone to a lot of danger. Even with the amount of experience I've had on the road, it's made me realize you can truly never be ready for the most unexpected situations. I recall a time a few years back where I was making a trip from Seattle to Washington, D.C. I was transporting some sort of computer chips. The trip was around 3,000 miles, and I knew I was in for a ride. The ride was like any other, the same old, same old. Throughout the first day, everything went well. As night approached, the only memorable thing that happened was some sort of accident. I hadn't seen it happen, but I drove past the rubble scattered about the road. Two trucks and a car. One truck had seemingly veered off the road onto the shoulder, running into a guardrail. Another truck had stayed on the road, but had notable damage on the front end, where the engine was located. What I saw next was the minivan. It had been driven right into by that truck and absolutely crushed from the back end. It was on its side in a ditch by the side of the road. I could only imagine who had been in it. As I drove through the swarm of first responders, I saw people being airlifted, while others had tarps put over them. It was a tragedy, one that I don't intend to get very descriptive with. At this point in time, I had become desensitized to the vision of fatal accidents. I had seen my fair share on the road, and did not look twice as I passed this one. It had begun to get darker at this point, as the night environment settled in. I had no trouble staying awake, but I couldn't brush off this odd feeling I had. That minivan had kept appearing in my mind. I didn't normally have difficulty forgetting about these sort of incidents, but my brain kept involuntarily envisioning what had happened when the truck had driven right into the back of that minivan. I could not shake this sense of sorrow that had come upon me. A recurring thought kept intruding inside my head. Were there children in the back of that minivan? I guess I'd never witnessed anything with a child potentially getting hurt before, so this was a new experience for me. I continued the drive, doing my best to not give any attention to these thoughts. Fast forward about an hour after this, and I'd gotten off at my exit, continuing down a more isolated road. With it being nighttime, the only forms of transportation I saw was the occasional fellow trucker. At some point, when I'd been on the road with no other vehicles in sight, I saw something straight ahead on the road. I made them out to be silhouettes. As I came closer, they appeared to be two children, their expressionless faces searching deep into my brain. I began to get chills as my head had suddenly become flooded with emotion. The image of that minivan started to surge back into my mind. Every detail of its damage came to me, the blood, the viscera, from which lay about the road, along with the rubble, had infested my thoughts, 
The visions and emotions I held continued to grow worse. Then it suddenly ceased. As fast as it came over me, it had left. How unexplainable it was that in that brief moment of time I'd felt so much. Along with my thoughts, the two children had vanished into thin air, leaving the road once again deserted. I was shaken. I couldn't comprehend what had just happened. Not even a minute later, I knew I'd be sleeping that night rather than driving. I would just have to pick up where I left off once I woke up in the morning. I went to a truck stop and I called it a night. But the dream I had that night was extremely vivid. I found myself in a hospital. A child had been admitted into the emergency room, visibly in critical condition. I had only seen one child and questioned where the other one had been. Then it hit me. They didn't make it after the initial impact. As I continued to look on as the doctors crowded around the child, the same intensified emotions swept upon me, and as soon as that happened, I woke up. It was morning. I realized I needed to get back on my route. The day went by fine. Nothing ever happened again with my thoughts or sudden intensified emotions. It's been years since this experience, and I've never had anything quite like that happen since. I still have no idea what took place during that drive, and I've kept it to myself all these years. I figured this would be a good place to share it, if any. The one takeaway from this experience that I've realized is to always be cautious. Don't drive under the influence. Don't drive if you're tired. Don't do anything if you're unsure of what the turnout might be. It's best to play it safe, rather than end up in serious injury or death. The events that took place during that period serve as a continuous reminder to me. Radio Interference From Battle Tendency I used to be a truck driver out of the U.S. I worked for a company that was hired by all sorts of people to drive shipments between states, or sometimes across the southern border. I had that job for a long time, and five years or so in, nothing out of the ordinary happened to me. The scariest thing was probably when some guy at a truck stop retold Phantom 309 like it was his own story, before the waitress gave him heck for it. That all changed in the story I'm about to tell you. It was early July, I believe. Late into the evening and the sun was almost set, but I still had good light, since it was summertime. I planned to put in another couple hundred miles before I pulled over for the night. I was driving down the road, blasting the FM radio as Carry On Wayward Sun was playing. I remember it being right around the chorus, when the signal began to get iffy. Even though the ground was nice and flat, the radio started cutting in and out. The lyrics would dissipate into static for a few seconds, before snapping back in. It continued to get worse as I drove. Thinking that it was a range issue, I started messing with the radio dial. 
I turned it a few notches, landing it on 88.9. When I did, though, it was all static. No music whatsoever, even though I knew for a fact there was a station on that band earlier. So I swapped back down to the rock station I was on before. Annoyed, I realized that it was just noise, too. I gave the dash a bang with my hand, trying to get it to work itself out, but nothing changed. Out of frustration, I cranked the dial all the way to the right, capping it at the highest frequency my receiver could pick up. Then I noticed the static was gone. I relaxed, knowing my radio was picking up something. Oddly enough, even though there was no static, there was also nothing playing either. I checked the volume on it. It was at its normal level. I think then I figured my radio was busted, and I let it stay on, hoping it would magically kick back in, eventually. Another ten minutes went by. The sky had gotten a little darker, but my rig lights gave me all the visibility I needed. I was just getting used to the hum of the engine when, without warning, a sound sputtered out of my radio. It only lasted for a second, a single long tone. The best way I could describe it would be the noise an old-fashioned television plays when it can't find a channel. When it ended, I checked my radio again. Since I knew the receiver had to have picked up that sound from somewhere, I let it keep playing, mostly out of curiosity. Within 30 seconds, the radio made another sound, like the tone from before, but a lower pitch. It lasted for the same amount of time. I was unnerved as it kept playing. As time went on, the gap between the sounds lessened. It was getting to the point where they were playing one after the other consecutively. Thinking some station was doing tests, I decided to switch the receiver to a different frequency. I scrolled the bar pretty far, landing somewhere in the mid-90 range. Interestingly enough, that new station was playing the exact same noise, so I kept scrolling through. Eventually, I got down to the 80s. All the stations were playing the darned robotic tones. At that point, I didn't know what was going on. I was in the middle of the desert. I don't know much about radio but it didn't seem possible a lone source could be occupying every FM frequency out here. I decided to heck with it. I was a second away from shutting the radio off when the tones cut out entirely. Like, just gone, without warning. The sudden lack of noise made me stop my hand. Then something else came on the radio. Only this time it was a song. It took me a bit to recognize the lyrics. After the third or fourth, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, I realized what it was. Scarborough Fair. It's an old-fashioned English song. To be honest, I don't really know what about. I just remembered as a kid, my parents used to dance to a record of it. Keep in mind, that was back in the late 60s. So there I sat in my cabin listening to this complete nostalgia trip of a song playing over the radio. The audio had a certain whine to it, like the song was being played off of a record, just like I remembered, 
The singer was female, with a southern accent. Knowing full well what would happen, I scrolled my radio again. I went all the way up and down the range, and sure enough, the same girl was singing on every single station. It was around this time that I realized I hadn't seen any other vehicles. Sure, it was late, but this was a massive highway, not some back road in the desert. I would have expected to see another driver, a rig like mine or a normal car, but there was nothing whatsoever. I was unnerved, but I kept my eyes on the road, letting the song finish. It seemed to end normally, even though there was something haunting about the voice that sang it. A few seconds after it was over, I noticed something else. This time it wasn't on my radio, but out my window. Out of the driver's side, I could make out the faint outline of something in the night sky. It was maybe fifty feet above the ground, but it was big. I'd say fifteen feet in diameter. It looked around from my perspective. It was black as a shadow, so black that it stuck out like a sore thumb against the off-blue sky. I watched it silently as it hovered above the ground. Looking back to my dash for a second, it hit me. My truck was moving at 80 miles per hour, and whatever that thing was, it was keeping pace with me, maintaining the same distance parallel to my truck as I drove down the highway. Getting more and more freaked out, I didn't know what to do, until the radio kicked back in. There was a series of another few tones. I wanted to turn it off, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I felt that if I turned the thing off, I'd anger whatever the heck was out there. So, I didn't. I let it play. Soon enough, more music came on. It only took me a second to realize what it was. Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. This track had the same whine as the previous one, again telling me it was being played from a record. The ominous piano of the song was, for the first time, terrifying to me. I decided to look out my window again, and as I watched the shape, I realized it had changed. It seemed to be pulsating along with the song. It wasn't changing color, per se. It just looked like the black material of whatever it was got brighter each time a key was struck. Imagine holding a black sheet of construction paper up to a light. That's the best way I could describe it. I think at this point I began to accelerate, exceeding the speed limit, but the thing effortlessly kept pace with me, not falling even an inch behind, as it continued to pulse and glow to the piano of the song. A few minutes in, the music suddenly cut. There was this incredibly unnatural noise on the radio. Again, hard to describe. It was a voice trying to speak English, I think, but it just couldn't get it. Think of a woman trying to speak, then slow it down, distort it, cut its pitch, whatever. It was terrifying. It kept repeating the same syllable over and over. I was frozen as I listened, unable to make sense of it. It was probably said thirty times before I caught on. It was trying to say, being. There was no context. I was clueless as to what it meant, 
and just as I wrapped my head around the word, the voice stopped. Static returned. The radio buzzed for a second before cutting back in. This time it was so different. Have you ever seen those edits where someone cuts a bunch of different words from various clips and strings them together to make a sentence? It was like that, only the sentence made no sense. A whole bunch of voices all female kept saying random numbers and letters, one after the other. A, 6, L, 43, Z, 5, K, 886. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I could see the shape pulsing in tune with each syllable as it was spoken through the radio. Then, without warning, it stopped. The radio returned to its static buzzing. Looking to my left, I could see the thing as it followed me, maintaining its speed. Suddenly, it grew in color changing from a black to a radiating hot white. I couldn't bear to look at it any longer. My entire cabin was lit up. I remember doing my best to not touch the steering wheel as I covered my eyes. I hoped the rig would remain straight on the road long enough for me to recover. And sure enough, it did. Maybe fifteen seconds later, I blinked as the darkness of the night was back, I gained control of the truck again. I turned to look outside one last time, and thank God there was no giant black shape hovering in the sky. In its place, though, were heat waves. I could see the deep turquoise of the night sky distorting because of the ridiculously hot air left where that thing had been. I pulled into the next rest stop I saw without hesitation staying awake all night, thinking about this. I could not come up with a single explanation that was realistic enough for me, nor have I been able to all these years. I used to expect some government agent to come sit me down one day and debrief me about the ordeal. But that never happened. Whatever that shape was, I have no clue. How it maintained a good 80 miles per hour without making a sound... I also don't know, but I can reasonably say that the tech involved is far beyond anything we have that's public domain. Maybe it's all some twisted government experiment. I don't know. But I'll leave you with this. I still have dreams from time to time where I'm driving down a big road at night, and that exact woman's voice comes on the radio, singing Scarborough Fair. I always wake up when she finishes the song with I must know your true love of mine. The following story is from an episode a few years ago. The Stuff You See and Encounter is a mobile heavy diesel tech submitted by Duo Doerden. As a diesel tech for nearly 11 years officially, and while working with my grandfather and father since I could hold a tool, I've seen quite a few things. As for me, I'm rather average in height, about 5'9", but I'm stocky and built like a logger. I don't chase monsters or mysteries. Most of the time, the mysteries I have are, how the heck did you do that, while trying to fix old, tired, heavy equipment. But as I started working out of my own toolbox and truck, 
Sure, there were some odd people I had to perform miracles to get things to work again, but there were a couple of creepy encounters. One time, I got a call at about one in the morning in the winter. A trucker was broke down on a highway about an hour away. Being self-employed, I would take whatever calls and income I could get. I've even taken a few jobs from animal rendering plants, and I had to wear two layers of coveralls and rubber gloves, yet that terrible smell still permeated into my hands and clothes, and it took weeks to get it out. Anyway, I drop out there. The call was placed somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Those highways can be pretty quiet that late at night, and it's usually always an inky black night with rain or snow, or a mix of both. It was not hard to find the truck on the side of the road, as it was basically the only thing out there at the time. I pulled in ahead of the truck and backed up, so I could get my tools and light equipment close to it. I met the guy, and wow did he smell, like he had not been in a shower for months, and it was hard to be close to the guy. I asked him my questions, what was going on, Turns out some of the air controls in the cab had broken and were causing a lot of alarms to go off. Being a truck from the early 80s with a sleeper cab, so it has a bed as a part of the cab for long-haul drives, it's definitely bound to happen. So he allows me up in the cab to do my work. I begin taking apart the dashboard to replace the hose fittings and such. Well, remember how I mentioned he smelled badly? Well, the cab was much, much worse. I was gagging and taking gasps, trying not to blow chunks. I tried to finish up quickly. Eventually, I was laying back on the floor of the cab, cleaning up my work and such, when I felt something start to rub and roll across my chest, like someone was running a hose across me. I sit up, and it's a freaking python. Never once did he mention there was a python in the cab. I'm not necessarily afraid of snakes. But when something like that is trying to coil around you to get warm, it would freak anyone out. I said my curses and rushed to work faster. The old trucker was laughing at me and watching everything unwind. Then, after he had his giggles, he grabbed the python and put it back in its cage in the back. I finished up and got out, and he said, You think that was scary? Well, I got body parts in the back. Well, at that point, my heart stopped. I'm on a dark, quiet highway alone with some smelly trucker in the middle of nowhere, and he says something like that. He may have been joking, sure, but I still didn't know why he smelled the way he did. I go back to my truck and take a moment to breathe. I run up the bill on my tablet and go back to the guy. He pulls out his log sheet and his wallet. Sorry about Bill. He got out and likes to hide in the dash when it's cold. Oh, and don't worry about the body parts. I'm hauling those up to the medical college. I just sighed and got my payment from him, then left. So the guy and his python were body haulers. That's nice. I ask now when a trucker calls me if they have any pets in the cab so I can be ready for it. And later on I found out that guy likes to screw with people, and that's why the local shop gave him my number. Oh, lucky me. My other event was a few years ago. I got a call from a local logging company needing someone to fix some really old equipment, equipment that many people don't know how to fix anymore, and they wanted me to fix some of the vandalized equipment they had. It's something of a specialty of mine, 
fixing old things that people no longer know how to fix. I got the GPS location and was deep, deep into the Cascades. I took the long drive up there. At that time, I was carrying a 45 for protection on jobs, as well as an AR. I've had a few close calls with cougars and black bears, so being that far out in the woods, I wanted to be prepared, especially if I had to camp in the mountains. I also had an Arctic sleeping bag, a lot of water, and a couple of MREs just in case. I got to work and tore into the old logging equipment and trucks, stuff repurposed from military surplus it looked like. After a couple of hours, I finished up with my work on the vehicles. It was really late, and the crew was all left for the day, except for the owner, who stayed a bit longer to help me with doing final adjustments. I was packing up, and I did my paperwork, and finally the owner had left. We were so far out there that cell phone coverage was really spotty, if there was any at all. I got ready to go as the sun was setting, and well, my truck's battery had given up the ghost. Well, it was too late now to try to get it started, so I prepared for a night of camping in my truck on a logging site. Not that I didn't mind camping or roughing it every once in a while, but still annoying to be stranded that far from home and civilization. I'm sure you could understand. I got a small fire going with all the scraps of trees and such. There was plenty down here. I sat down on a log next to me and got my MRE cooking in its bag. I could hear deer moving about, small rodents making nests in the down foliage. Owls were hooting and screeching in the night. The crickets and other bugs were singing their songs. It would have been beautiful out there if it hadn't turned so creepy. Because what happened next was all those sounds I just listed completely stopped. All at once, as if someone just pressed the mute button. It was completely silent. The only thing ringing in my ears was the sound of the fire popping and cracking. Keeping my eyes peeled, I slowly finished my food and moved a cut piece of wood so my back was to my truck and chambered my weapons. I grew up hunting. I learned from my elders that when the forest goes quiet, there's some sort of predator in the area. Several hours went by in that night with this insane silence hovering over me. Every so often I'd interrupt it, placing more kindling in the fire to keep it alive. Then, suddenly, off a ways down the mountain from the road, I hear a whistle that sounds like an owl's screech. But it didn't sound right. Then there was another one further up the mountain. At this point, I threw on more wood to try to get the fire to light up more in my area keeping any wild animals at bay. Plus, I wanted to give myself a buffer zone to see any eye reflections with the fire's light. I gripped my AR tight, and I stood up. Suddenly, masses of rocks began to fly down the mountain, hitting the equipment, and at my feet. Many of the rocks were softball size. It even broke some of the glass I had replaced that day. At that point, I let off a few rounds as a warning. Everything stops, and it goes quiet again. No more stones flying down at me. But maybe half an hour later, in the stone-cold darkness, I hear, bang, 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 as if someone was taking a wooden bat against a tree. That same noise was also coming from elsewhere above me in the woods. 
like it was just over the crest of the hill. Then I heard thumping like large, heavy footsteps, and then it would all stop, and the maddening silence would return. I stood there waiting, as if something was about to break from the edge of the fire and start charging at me. Then I noticed two reddish-yellow dots in the hill staring down at me. Something was looking in my direction. I could see them watching me, blinking. I wanted to shoulder my weapon and let loose with the trigger, and then something in me said it's not the one you see you should be worried about, it's the ones you can't see. So I just remained calm and stood there, watching those eyes in the dark, watching me. It felt like I was living a nightmare. I felt so helpless next to a fire armed with a rifle, and feeling like any moment, no matter how many rounds I have, there was nothing I could do to get away. I simply kicked on another piece of a log and continued my staring contest with whatever that thing was. Eventually, the eyes began to move and disappeared behind something and never returned that night. I spent the rest of the night keeping the fire going, watching and listening, and soon, to my great relief, the sounds of the forest returned. When they did, I felt safe enough to crawl into my cab of my service truck and finally get some sleep. Next thing I knew, I was awakened by the owner of the company knocking on my window. I nearly jumped out of the passenger door. He asked me why I was still up here, and I told him that my battery went out and I could not get a cell signal. He then asked me about the few rifle casings I left out there and the broken window. I gave him the full story. He gave me a cup of coffee as he stirred up my fire and got it going. He dragged over another log and sat down on it, and then he gave me his story of another mechanic that had stayed there with them. The mechanic the next day quit and loaded up his camper and never returned to the woods for work. It was the same thing, rocks flying, noises in the forests going quiet. They helped me jump my truck and I later got going. It was that night that I stayed there that has me staying out of the woods overnight at all costs. I do not do work deep in the woods anymore. Now they either have to bring it to me, or it has to be close to home. Things go down in the woods at night. Certain creatures don't want you around. The following are some scary stories from 4chan that I am re-uploading. Some, if not all, the pictures referenced in these stories can be found on my Twitter, at Dark Prevails. You'll want to scroll down to February 11th, or click the link in the show notes. Enjoy. The Delivery Hosted on December 29th, 2014 Location, Washington, D.C. I'm 21 and a college senior from Connecticut. While I live in a semi-rural area, about 20 minutes to the closest supermarket and fast food, I go to school in Washington, D.C. Not the nice part, either. The part where substance users are a problem and cops are reassuring rather than troublesome. I've definitely seen some things in my day. It would be good to mention here that I'm not some glandular freak. I'm six foot one and 240 pounds, 
Most of it in muscle, but Lord knows I could drop 15 pounds or so. I love to smoke, drink, and eat. Sue me. Being the good student that I am, I picked a real major, accounting, and I interned for a mid-sized PR firm doing accounting work and getting paid 20 an hour. College is expensive, so I deliver pizzas at night after the office closes. It's a cheap sort of pizza place that has an absurdly large delivery radius and is around 20 minutes from my house, 5 minutes from the beach. My place is north of there, and we deliver probably another 15 minutes past my house. I'm actually typing this at work in between examining the fine print on our client contracts to ensure that we are charging them every penny. Believe me, they do everything they can to short us. Anyway, basically, the further north you go from the pizza place, the more countryside it gets. I work until close, and this happened at around 9.45 p.m. I'm in the back, folding pizza boxes like a good little boy. The counter girl comes back with a delivery slip. She tells me this customer sounded weird on the phone, kind of like he was talking through a fan or through his hands, and that he was kind of gurgling. My Washington, D.C. experience instantly makes me think of some user, if you catch my drift. Although around here, it's way more likely to be some benzo freak. Automatically assuming some weird interaction will occur, I look at the address. It's basically in the middle of nowhere. I'm a little mad, because I don't want to drive that far. But screw it. Not to mention, it's the weirdest ticket I've ever seen. The guy ordered a large pizza with anchovies, ground beef, ham, sausage, pepperoni, etc. Literally 15 bucks worth of extras on top of his pizza. I go to ask the counter girl if this is right. She says she thinks so. She couldn't really make it out though, so she said she did her best. She's about 16 years old, so I cut her some slack. Maybe she was daydreaming while she took the call, so I'll just give them a call back to be sure. I dial the phone, and it rings 5, 10, 20, 30 times, but no one answers. I hang up and call again. This time, the phone goes right to... The number you have dialed does not have a voicemail box that has been set up yet. Goodbye. Okay, then. My manager decides to just make the pizza as ordered, and we would proceed from there. I go out to deliver a separate pizza to a hilariously big guy and a couple who invited me in for drinks, but I don't drink or smoke when I'm working. I was hoping by the time I got back that someone else delivered that weird pizza order. Surprise, surprise, no one did, and it was again my turn to pick up an order. Begrudgingly, I take the pizza and get in my car. I enter the address into my phone. It's on a side street adjacent to a park locals call Open Space, which despite the name, it's actually about 500 acres of straight woods. It's about 25 minutes away basically the edge of our range. I put on some dubstep and crank my turbo subby while taking off out towards this road. Now, if you're not from a rural area, this can be hard to explain. Winter in the woods is scary. There's never a single sound, ever. Unless there's something larger than a cat walking around, it's just you and complete silence. Finally, I make it to the address, there are a few houses on the street, but they sit on probably five acres, so they're spaced out a fair amount. 
I'm looking for number 1134. I pass 1130, then a long stretch of road of nothing. Then it picks up again at 1144. What the heck? I just want to get this over with and get the next delivery without getting attacked by some pillhead over something as small as a pizza. I try calling their number again. It rings and rings, then stops ringing. Wait a minute. Someone picked up. But there's no voice. Instead, I hear a buzzing or humming sound. It's hooked up to my car stereo, and it's getting louder and louder until I just hang up, because I don't want to ruin my speakers. The windows are fogging up at this point. I'm pulled over between two of these houses. Right when I roll the windows down, I am overcome by this odor of decaying trash, like driving through Newark, New Jersey. It's so gross, I put the car in first and I start pulling towards the next house, trying to escape it. At the end of the driveway, there's a stanchion with a light on top. The plan was to pull into this house and knock, and ask if maybe they gave me the wrong number over the phone. That would make sense for these kinds of people. I'm probably a hundred feet away when I see someone step out of the darkness and into the light at the bottom of the driveway. I sigh. Thank goodness. It's the guy that ordered. I'm expecting the guy to be all over the place, leaning over, acting completely out of his mind. But he's actually pretty calm. I stop the car about ten feet away from him. He's wearing a big black coat that looks three times too big for him, even though he's probably got five inches on me. I don't look right at him at first. I grab the pizza and step out of the car. Then I grab the ticket and prepare change if he gives cash. I say to him, Hey, sir, sorry about the wait and for all the calls I made. The delivery's pretty far. There's no response from him. I realize I should be watching him considering the red flags. The smell is still extremely pungent, but I know it's not trash day. I get the pizza on the roof of my car and he's standing there under the light on the opposite side. I finally pay enough attention to get a good look at him. The guy is basically giant. He's wearing no shoes and he has ripped up jeans and there's stains everywhere. I try to get a look at his face and his eyes seem to be sunken in. I can't even see the actual pupils with the light. From here, it's like they're black craters. I'm getting real sketched out at this point because the guy still hasn't moved or said a word. I stop the process and stare at him. He's staring right back at me with those freaky eyes. His head is sort of bobbing side to side, but not in any fluid sense at all. Kind of like a car door, like how it stops at halfway open, and then you give it another shove and it stops at the all-the-way point. I watch his head do this with no real pattern for about ten seconds. I'm starting to get more uneasy between the stench and this head movement and the eyes, and him still completely ignoring me. I stand frozen, and so does he. Without breaking eye contact, I take my phone out of my pocket, and hold it level with the roof so I can look at the guy and my phone at the same time. Curiosity overflowing, I decide to go to the recent calls on my phone, and I redial his number. The phone starts ringing, but I don't hear it anywhere. Wait a second. I do hear it. It's coming out of the quiet of the woods. I can hear a faint, distant cell phone 
ringing about fifty yards away in the woods. I'm kicking myself at this point, almost soiling myself. The guy is just standing there still, doing the head thing, but I swear to God I see him smile. Finally, I get the courage to speak. Uh, can you, can you please come get this? Also, I think you may have dropped your phone when you were hiding a body or whatever in the woods. I laugh nervously, still thinking maybe this guy just dug too deep into the prescription bottle. I see his mouth open, head still bobbing, feet planted on the ground. He makes a sort of low, guttural, quick grunt, then a high grunt, then a low grunt. They are sort of soft, kind of like someone clearing their throat. At this point, I'm ready to book it to the driver's seat if I have to. Just as I go to redial that phone again, I hear him talking. The phone's not mine. The pause between the phone's not and mine was way too long. Phone's not literally sounded like one word. Mine came off an octave higher. My mind is in DEFCON 5, full-on panic attack. My knees are weak, and I'm literally about to pass out. I push the pizza to the far side of the roof away from me. I finally muster out. Sir, you're freaking me out. I have a 45, and less than $20 on me. Just, just take this, so I can leave. When I say this, his head bobbing stops. His eyes are dark and burning a hole through me. He opens his mouth again. It was his. What? I ask, stunned. It was his. The phone was his. The guy starts coming towards my car. Not a step, but like one huge muscle spasm that propels him forward. The phone was his. He repeats. I'm on the verge of tears at this point. The guy jerk jumps again now closer to the car. The phone is not his anymore. I blubber wordlessly, then gather myself and scream. I'm going to call the cops, man, if you don't get out of here. I see this guy smile, that creepy smile, and without moving his mouth, I hear him say in a completely different voice, a voice I've never heard before. Go away! Stop following me! I will call the police! In another big, jerky motion, the thing reaches forward, takes the pizza off the car, and places a couple of round things that I later identify as quarters on the roof. They're surrounded by this dark liquid that spreads over the roof. I don't even think, just get in the car and peel out down the road. I leave the hot sleeve for the pizza, too. Leave everything. Don't even close the door all the way. I get down the road, going about 80 for a quarter mile then pull a U-turn because I don't want to get even more lost with that psycho out there. I whip down the road past the place where he had just been, and he's gone. I finally get to the end of the road, and there's a stop sign to merge with the main road. I look right to make sure it's clear that I look left. That thing's face is twelve inches from my own when I turn. I tactically have a heart attack and peel off down the road, I finally make it back to the pizza place, shaking like crazy. I smoke just to calm down, which I never do when I'm working. I walk in the front door of the pizza place. 
Hey, Anon, that guy at the open space house just called back. You said you forgot some food, but he only ordered the pizza, right? He wants you to come back. I start crying. I look at my phone, which had been thrown through the car when I was driving. There's 14 missed calls from his number. All the voicemails are empty except the last one. All I can hear is ragged breathing and those low grunting sounds. I'm bawling my eyes out in front of this hot counter girl, but I don't care. I sit for ten minutes trying to calm down. Then I remember the chain she had laid on the roof. I steadily go out to the car and turn on a flashlight. The roof of the car was covered in the most viscous, weird fluid, but it smells like copper. I throw up. In the panel gap, between the trunk and the end of my rear window, I find the quarters. They're covered in that same gross maple syrup goop. They're stuck to it. Along with the fluid, I can now see what appears to be soft little chunks of tissue. I go to open my car, and my veins turn to eyes. There's a single line of this fluid, going from the front quarter panel to the driver's side door. That freaking thing tried to open my door when it was next to me at the stop sign. I go back in, crying harder now. I tell the counter girl to try and call the number again for me. She tries over and over, but the phone goes right to voicemail. The next morning, I give the number to my uncle, who is a police captain a few towns over. He says the number is a burner phone, paid in cash, basically untraceable, and it appeared to be turned off now. I sleep with the lights on these days. The Abandoned Posted on February 28, 2013 Location, Nevada I live in the rural north of Nevada. You know, there's gold in them there hills. I'm hanging out with three bros drinking at the house. I call up some friends because it's desert party time. We drive out into the middle of nowhere on a dirt road, so we can destroy some targets at target practice, then listen to some obnoxiously loud music. Thirty miles of driving, completely stark, barren desert, the dirt road ends. It's not a significant location of any kind. There's other people out there already, which was weird, but there are some very attractive-looking girls there, oh lord. We set up tables and chairs and get the bumpinest car stereo going. Everyone is drinking and having a good time. It's pretty cash. But the girls hate us doing target practice. Half a dozen of us decide to work together to find the tallest nearby hill to smoke at. We get to the top and the hill overlooks a valley. And on the opposite side of us, there's this old structure in the distance. Maybe half a mile. It looks like an abandoned farmhouse, and you know what that means. It's exploring time. We gather everyone, and this is going to be awesome. It's still very early evening, and it's light out. The entourage approaches the farmhouse. It becomes clear that this is really freaking spooky. The girls are getting scared, too. They're too afraid to enter the unholy basilica and go through the front door. But Christ... It's a 1940s-era two-story fancy farmhouse, and everything that was in it is still there. But it's absolutely covered, absolutely caked in, rat droppings, and decades of undisturbed dust. 
Everything is still there like I said before. The beds, the pillows, the blankets still made up. Chandeliers, books, furniture, pictures, paintings. Even an old film reel, projector, and screen. These people were obviously quite wealthy. But in 70 years, the property has been pillaged. But none of this crap had been stolen? None of it sold at auction, destroyed, or recovered by friends or relatives? There's this old-school mint green refrigerator with the door open. Desiccated, moldified, ancient food remaining in there. None of this is right. Not right at all. How did this happen? Why did it happen? Even I'm getting really creeped out. The wardrobes are filled with WW2-era looking clothing. Now, truthfully, I don't know the significance of the farmhouse with this story overall. The thing is, I felt like the farmhouse was a very bad place for reasons that I did not understand. I mean, nothing bad happened at the farmhouse. It was just a little odd. The more absurd and terrifying stuff went down that night, just a little while after the farmhouse. But it all began here. I went from drinking and having a good time to freaking out. The sun was starting to go down, so we needed to get back to the party camp. It was barbecue time anyway. Time to whip up some burgers and steaks on the grill. It was delicious, to be honest. My friend Dan lived down the street from me our whole lives. Essentially, we have known each other since elementary school. Dan is fat and funny and very tolerable. He comes up to me and quietly says that he just wants to go home. I try to get him to tell me what's up but he doesn't give me a straight answer. I'm sure he was just spooked by the farmhouse like I was, but I'm back to having a good time, so I ignore him. Today was a good day, after all. I brought lots of cut wood, and bro number two and I get the bonfire going. The light of the bonfire illuminates someone walking towards us, way out in the desert. They aren't even walking along the direction of the road. Everyone essentially is freaking out again, turning the music off and scrambling, thinking it's some freak or even worse, a cop. It's just some guy in a hoodie, though. But he's walking in the middle of the pitch-black desert, somewhat confused in light of the strange circumstances. We are relieved that it's just some relatively friendly-looking guy about our age, maybe no older than 20. We tell him that he scared the living daylights out of us, and asked what he was doing out here. Hiking, he says. Hiking, huh? Do you know how creepy that is, man? Someone says, referencing the fact that he was walking around randomly in the deserted plains, in the dark, and by himself. Yeah, he's the creepster, someone said. We made several jokes calling him the creepster, but he seemed like a quiet and good-natured fellow, and even laughed with us. We asked him to hang out with us and grabbed him a drink. He had a sort of strange mannerism about him, and he had a scar on his upper lip, like a cleft lip scar or something. I soon noticed that the whole time this hoodie guy is acting strange, like he was waiting at the DMV or sitting in a dentist's office waiting for something to happen. I don't know how else to describe it. I remember thinking that he's probably just awkward. It starts to sink in for me maybe 20 minutes later that something incredibly wrong is going on, and I'm beginning to panic. I'm beginning to pack my stuff away. It's past midnight and some people have already left anyway. I tell bro number two that we're about to take off and that we should smoke before we hit the road. 
I tell him to get Dan because he's always down to smoke with us. But Dan is completely gone. Where the heck is Dan? We asked everyone. We asked them where they last saw him. We walk around the area with flashlights, thinking that he just slipped away to call his mom, or he peed himself, or he was doing his business out in the desert. We blow up his phone with calls and text messages to no response. He was not there. Girl number two and I drive around honking and calling his name with the bright lights on, trying to locate him. No joke, we looked for him for 45 minutes. But Dan was gone entirely. We were only uniforms short of being a hunting party, but there was no trace of him. We were hoping, praying that Dan was serious about going home and getting a ride with one of the guys who left earlier. Now we really needed to leave, but the least we could do was drop by his house to see if he was there. For some reason, as everyone's leaving, all the other folks assumed that we were going to take care of the hoodie guy. They got in their cars and said goodbye. I'm the last driver, and I would feel like a jerk leaving the hoodie guy out in the desert. How would he get home otherwise? How did he even get out there? Anyway, I offer to give him a ride. I'm actually sweating on the trip home. Bro number two is in the passenger seat, and he asks where he lives. He gives us verbal directions to a street. Calle de la Plata. My stomach drops instantly. That's the street where Dan and I live. Bro number two is only a short distance away from that. We say nothing. There is no, oh wow, we live there too, or how long have you lived there? The rest of the ride is just stunned silence. We bring him to the major intersection, just a block away from where Dan lives. We drop him off there and he thanks us. Then we go to Dan's house. His mom is there, saying that he hasn't come home yet. We don't want to worry her, so we smile and tell her not to worry. He must have gone off to party with some other troop. I call Dan in the morning. I think it was one of the most emotional conversations I've ever had in my life. I was literally in tears, happy to see him. Then I got a load of Dan's story. His story goes as follows. He watched us leave the party camp last night. He said goodbye to us. He said that we left abruptly with the hoodie guy. Dan, I said. Where were you last night? You were gone for at least two hours, and we spent the first of those hours looking in the desert for you. He said to me that he was there the whole time. No, you weren't, Dan, I reminded him. You freaking weren't. You did go take a crap or something for two hours somewhere, didn't you? No, he said. I was there the whole time. Completely without words, I spent a lot of time just sitting in a chair thinking over what happened. Then I get a call from bro number two, who has a much worse story. We go over to see Brent. Brent was one of the guys who was at the party camp that night. He brought the chicks, and the chicks were over there too that day, when we went to get the story from Brent. They said we never looked for Dan. They said that Dan never went missing. He had been there the whole time, and we left before he did. They say that we arrived to the camp with the hoodie guy, and that he was with us in our car when we got there. I'm trying to calm down and explain to them that that is impossible. We had arrived with Dan. Why did you call him the creepster then? I asked her. 
I don't know, he was just really quiet and had that weird scar. No, that's impossible, I said. We all saw him and were creeped out by him coming right out of the desert like that. He walked out of the darkness. That's why you called him Creepster in the first place. Bro number two and I are yelling at the top of our lungs. They don't seem to understand what we are so upset about. They keep telling us to calm down. They don't remember how strange it was that he was in the middle of the desert. Because he came with us, supposedly. Dan does not really ever hang out with us anymore. He was always a fun guy to be around. But his mom says he's going through some personal things. But since March 2012, he doesn't really even talk to me or bro number two. Sometimes I wonder if my friends have some sort of amnesia or collective block. Sometimes I wonder what happened to Dan when he was gone for two hours. Sometimes I wonder if the hoodie guy was even a freaking human being. The Sleepover Posted on April 21st, 2013 Location, California I've never shared this story before, and after this I don't really intend to again. This thread has really kept me good company as I've drifted in and out with this pounding migraine. I don't really like talking about this time in my life, but I want to contribute. When I was 10 to 12, I lived with my mother. We were below poverty level poor. We lived up in the mountains around Santa Cruz, California, and my mother had a friend that owned a large bit of property up there. He let us stay in a trailer. Our trailer was very small and was right beside a garden. A chain-link fence ran around the garden to keep the dog the owner had out, along with other animals. Deer and things were very common in that area. Also, inside the fence was a single room. It was built like a tiny house, but it was only a single room inside. This room had electricity, and since our trailer didn't, I spent a lot of my time in there, especially as I was so into video games. There was one thing you should know right now. This small, fenced-in area was only a small part of the property, but most of it was heavily forested. I refused to leave that fenced-in area, because the owner's dog had been mistreated by children in the past, and was very sketchy towards me all the time. If I was alone, it would bite at me, even through the fence. The fence was tall, at least seven feet high, and wasn't movable, though. So as long as the gate was closed, I was safe. Besides the trailer in that small little room, there was no one else and nothing else for miles. Now I tell you all this because I think it's important you understand what kind of scene this was, before I really get into it. Now then, I brought friends up there to sleep over from time to time. We all thought it was pretty cool, you know? Like camping out. Besides, we would get our own room to stay in, to play video games all night long. It was like a dream come true, to me anyway. There was one downside, though. When it got dark out, it got really dark out. No city around, and the trailer would not light up. There was no bathroom to use in the room, and you would have to walk through the garden in order to get to the trailer to use it. Odd things happened out there from time to time. It was always something that could be somewhat easily explained away. Noises like people working at night sometimes. Or once me and my friend were sitting out in the garden and we saw a shadow as big as a small bear bound up a tree. 
but the tree didn't shake like there was weight on it. That mean dog also creeped me out. But you know, angry dog, I was a kid, it happens. Now I am a scaredy cat. I always have been. I have trouble walking through the house if I'm alone. My friends, however, tend to be more outgoing than me, and just the kinds of people I get along with. On this occasion, I had a friend over named Jacob. We were staying up all night playing Sonic the Hedgehog 3. It was on my Sega Genesis on an old ratty television. We started playing as the sun went down, and by the time we were finishing up the game, it was about 2 a.m. That's when we heard it. We turned off the game getting ready to find something else to play. There was a rumbling in the woods behind the room we were in, like someone was rolling something really heavy around. We hadn't heard it before because the noise from what we were playing was quite loud. Immediately, I had goosebumps. Jacob wasn't really worried about it, but it's not like there was someone else's house or yard right over there. It was just forest for miles. Yet it sounded like someone was constructing something, dragging or rolling something really big. Eventually, Jacob convinced me to just play more games and ignore it. I agreed on the condition that we turn the volume down so we could hear if something else happened. We started playing, and I didn't even notice the noise stop because I was getting so engrossed. A couple of hours later, Jacob said he needed to use the bathroom. I was feeling fine by then, so I was fine when he left to the trailer to relieve himself. He was taking a while, so eventually I decided I was going to go check on him. Besides, I could use the bathroom myself and grab a snack while I was at it. I opened the door to leave, and he was just standing at the doorway right there, right outside the door facing it. It scared the crap out of me. I asked him what he was doing, and he just continued to stand there, blocking the exit. I realized he must have snuck up to the door because I could hear him walk away from the room, but I hadn't heard him walk back up to it like this. It was super quiet. I should have been able to hear him do that. He refused to say anything or respond to me, still just standing there. I told him he was really creeping me out, but it wasn't like him to try and scare me like this. Finally, I decided to just go to the trailer and use the bathroom myself partially because I knew my mother was asleep in there. I told him what I was doing and then moved past him. When I moved past him, though, I had to push him out of my way a little, and his skin felt frozen, like ice cold to the touch. I jumped back a little. But it was a cold night, I told myself, and he had been standing out there for like half an hour, so I figured that was to be expected. I walked as quickly as I could over to the trailer, and he followed me, like right on my tail. It was unnerving. I joked a little, saying that he already surprised me by scaring me at the door, and that the joke was over. Finally, I made it to the trailer and walked in. He didn't follow, just stayed at that doorway as well. I checked on my mom, who was still sleeping, then turned to go to the bathroom. Now, it being a porta potty we keep the bathroom door shut because... Well, it smells bad. When I reach for the door and try to open it, though, it's locked. A nervous, familiar voice came from behind the door. Uh, I, I'm in here. I quickly turned to look at Jacob, but the door was still open and there was nothing there but pitch black night. I freeze in terror. I would have saw him, heard him, go to the bathroom door and open it, if he had come in from behind me. 
There's no way to do it quietly out here. The trailer creaks like crazy. I yelped so loudly that my mom woke up. I stared at the doorway, unable to move a muscle. She got up, walked over there, and looked out. Not seeing anything, she closed the door and asked me what was wrong. By now, Jacob was coming out of the bathroom and acting perfectly normal, but a bit confused. I explained what I'd experienced. Jacob said that he had been taking a while in the bathroom, and that's why he'd been gone so long. Neither of them believed my story at all, no matter how much I insisted. My mom was sure that I was just sleepy and imagined it, and Jacob thought I was pranking him. So my mom gets out a big flashlight and walks us back to the room. She tells us to just go to bed, then leaves and goes back to bed herself. Now this room doesn't have any windows or anything, so after a while I calm down a bit. I'm telling myself that my mom was right. I must have had like a waking dream or something. Jacob insists he was in the bathroom the whole time, and I'm inclined to believe him, because it doesn't make sense otherwise. So I settle down, I'm a little rattled, but I'm thinking I can just sleep it off. Suddenly, that dog beyond the fence goes nuts. He's right behind us. The room is up against the fence, so the dog must have been like right behind the room on the other side. I felt like I jumped so high I was surprised I didn't hit the roof. Jacob's laughing at me. <laughs> that dog must be barking at a squirrel or something. Calm down. It keeps barking like that for a long time, though, before it suddenly stops and gets replaced by whimpering. Then the dog runs away. There are about 45 seconds of silence before we hear something new. A small scratching sound on the back wall of the room. We both try to be as silent as we can, listening. Eventually, it stops. After five minutes or so of silence, Jacob decides to be brave. He insists he's going to go get my mother up, to tell her something weird is happening, and we're going to go from there. I wish he wouldn't leave me alone, but there was no way I was going out there, with him or not. He arms himself as best he can, with a tennis racket. Then he takes a couple deep breaths and opens the door, dashing out. I close it as quickly as he leaves. In less than 30 seconds, I hear someone scream. Not long after, the door flies open and he comes back in looking pale as a ghost. He's breathing like he just ran a marathon. His eyes are as big as dinner plates. I ask what's going on like four times before he finally starts getting words out. He tells me he walked out there and as he was walking through the garden as quick as he could, he saw my mom just standing there. He tried to talk to her, but she stared at him with a blank expression. Getting super creeped out because of what happened to me earlier, he took a couple more steps towards her, telling her that he thought that something was in the woods. Suddenly, her face turned to an awkward smile. Then he realized something horrible. He hadn't noticed sooner because of the darkness and how much of a hurry he had been in. She was on the other side of the fence. Now, the door to this room does not lock, and as I explained earlier, this room had no windows. He had been trying to move stuff in front of the door as he told the story, and by the end, I was helping him. In retrospect, whatever was harassing us seemed to be averse to actually entering the room or trailer, because the Jacob one didn't come in either time, even though he should have been able to, and this room was not at all sturdy. Either way, we stacked everything we could against that door. 
thinking somehow that like cartoons, this would totally definitely keep that monster out. For the rest of the night, we heard scratching coming from all around the room. I cried. Jacob looked like his mind had left his body with fear. At one point, I swear I heard it speak too. I heard it from right next to where I was resting against the wall, and it was in my mother's voice, quietly. The same exact phrasing and intonation she had used earlier in the night. What's wrong? Go to sleep. The sun came up eventually, and the scratching ended. We heard my mom exit the trailer and come up to the door. This time we actually heard those footsteps. We absolutely refused to leave the room, though. My mom had to go get the property owner and have him take the door off. When we saw that it was actually her, I burst into tears again. We never had any experiences like these again, and we eventually moved away. But that night, it still haunts me. I refuse to go out at night unless I am with a bunch of people, and I will never live in the woods again. The Woods Posted on March 3rd, 2013 Location, Missouri I'm a chemical guy. We all go in the middle of the woods to do training. This happened during an FTX out in the woods, next to a ridge and a large stream bed. Every night there is a roaming guard of two privates. We have our little blank adapters, and we just roam around, making sure no one's up to no good. This happened one night when me and a buddy of mine are posted on a couple of stumps by one of the light systems that they drag out there. It's about 0300. Me and my pal are set up under the lamps, soaking in the warm exhaust because it's 25 degrees out and we were not going to move at this point. We're watching the tents, joking how if anyone was going to do the nasty, it'd be difficult due to the cold. I nudge my friend and tell him he can catch a nap. He quickly lulls off and is snoozing. Snow is slowly drifting down through the trees, peacefully. I'm just kind of staring into the woods when I hear that crunch of snow. It's extremely faint and I have to perk up my ears to make it out. I think to myself, there's no way, they're going to get frozen out there. I nudge my buddy awake and tell him there's a DS in the woods, a drill sergeant. He perks up and we are both watching the woodline. Sure enough, we see a shadow come in from the woodline, crouching low. Amazing he can be that quiet in the snow. We both grin. Last time this actually happened, they dragged someone out and tied them up to a tree for giggles. The shadow gets well within the camp line, crouching really, really low. Looking back, it was odd. One of the tents rustle, and the shadow instantly stands up to full height. And dang, I'd say it was at least seven feet tall. And... Are those horns on its head? My buddy and I suck in our breaths and our eyes are wide. That is not a drill sergeant. Whatever it was opens a tent flap real slow and looks inside it. At this time, my buddy has found the little radio we were given in case we need to contact the actual drill sergeant. My buddy is freaking out and trying to get them out there, which causes them to freak out and come ghosting out of the freaking shadows. They startle us, and my buddy yells. Then we all hear a loud grunt. All our heads turn to see this goat thing dragging one of the privates out. It's trying to drag her out of the camp. Nothing really happens for what feels like hours, 
It feels so surreal staring this thing down. We're awakened when the female drill sergeant screams out a war cry and launches herself at the thing at a full sprint. The rest of the drill sergeants pull out their pistols and charge down to try and get that private back. He hops up and runs down, scrambling to grab the chick and haul her back. The drill sergeants are taking off to chase whatever that thing was away from the camp. As we are dragging the chick away, the entire camp is up now, setting up a perimeter around the AHA and Chow Tent, two areas that have constant light. Tense beyond belief, everyone has their bayonets in their hands. The drill sergeants come back an hour later, looking worse for wear. Then we all load up in the Humvees and get out of there. Apparently, the drill sergeants had chased the thing over a creek, at which it took off into the underbrush. The female soldier was okay. Whatever it was had smothered her until she passed out, obviously wanting to take her alive. Higher command was weirded out by this, but didn't seem phased by it, and had simply made the drill sergeants carry fully loaded M4s for the next rotations. Strange skinwalker thing in the woods? Nah, don't worry about it. Now have some more firepower. Now there are tons of these stories. Stories of people hauling tail out of the woods in full kit, blubbering and getting discharged due to mental instability. I have one other story, and this is from a friend of mine who went to MP training there. The friend was on his last FTX in the middle of winter. He is set up with three other people in a tower overlooking a huge expansion of woods. A scheduled OPFOR attack happens. Everyone's having fun firing blanks, all that. Suddenly, a couple of dudes come barreling out of the woods carrying a guy who has a freaking tree branch lodged into his thigh. Everyone stops. We leap into action and drag him into the FOB. He is screaming, crying literally, the deer man. Drill sergeants instantly scramble for their M4s and get on a loudspeaker, demanding every private into their little hutches. Then they break a major rule, handing out live ammo to everyone, and it's so tense. Soon enough, the only sound is that guy screaming. The, the dear man, he's out there, Jesus Christ. And he keeps screaming this until the medics arrive. The Other, posted on March 2nd, 2013. Location, South Carolina. I was 16 years old living in the backwoods of South Carolina. You hear stories from local kids of the creepy things happening in the woods, particularly two miles from my new house. I decide I have to check it out. It can't be that scary, right? Heavy fog all of a sudden rolls in, bringing a smell of copper and burned hair. The hairs on the back of my neck start to stand on end. I start hearing whispers and giggles. There's something running in the woods near me. It's getting louder, closer. I turn around to see something crawling extremely fast and low to the ground on four legs, but it seemed to have arms and legs like a person. I scream in fear, getting its attention by accident. This causes it to screech and retreat back into the woods. The fog lifts and smell suddenly goes away, but I nope right out of there. But when I get home, I swear to God, I caught a glimpse of it in my driveway. As I'm walking toward the door when I feel it's safe, I end up blacking out. When I wake up, I'm on top of my dad's car. 
My dad is over me, trying to get me to wake up. I tell my dad what's happening while my ears are ringing. He laughs at me, tells me it is just my imagination. Everything returns to normal, and it stays normal for the next three hours. My dad suddenly says, Hey Jake, mind getting me those steaks out of the fridge? I look at him and say, Why did you call me Jake, Dad? Because my name has never been Jake. He suddenly looks at me full of hatred. I shut up and give him the steaks anyway. He takes the uncooked steaks into his room and locks the door. He comes out an hour later with the package and throws it away. I'm not even going to ask. Around 11pm he tells me to go to bed, which is odd because it's Friday and he doesn't usually care if I stay up. But I do as I'm told and go into my room. At around 3.15 my door opens. It's my dad. I don't say anything and I pretend to sleep. But that smell of copper returns to the air and it makes me sick to my stomach. He sits on the edge of my bed and just stares at me. It lasts for several minutes. He then mumbles something under his breath. It was in a voice that I didn't recognize. My veins froze and I just laid there. When he got up and left, my heart sank. I just laid awake until morning. The next morning I woke up and my dad is asleep on his lazy boy. He's got some red coming from his nose. I wake him up and I'm still spooked about the other day. I ask him about his nose and he has no idea where it came from. Maybe it's just random, he said. I ask him about the night before and he has no idea what I'm talking about. He doesn't even remember waking me up. My heart sinks again. When he states that it was still Friday, I know for a fact that it's Saturday, but he argues with me until I show him my phone. When I see his face, I know that we're both freaked out. I've never ventured out into the woods since then, and nothing strange has happened. But sometimes, I will hear the front door open and close a few times during the night. Alright guys, this happened to me last night, and I haven't been able to sleep since. I was hesitant to post it on X, because I've been looking for some sort of real-life explanation or something. Trying to see what it was I saw outside, now that it's light out. But I can't, and it's scaring the crap out of me. I usually frequent B, or Mew, or Lit... So excuse me if this is something you guys already have an explanation for. Please just tell me there is a realistic explanation for this, and that what happened is common. I'm freaking terrified. I got home from work. It was almost midnight. Now when you open the door to my home, the home security thing does a high-pitched beep, beep, beep chime. I'm in my kitchen eating a late night dinner before going to bed. I hear a door open and then the home thing goes beep, beep, beep. But it definitely sounds like it came from outside. I'm sitting right by the back door so I go check the front door. The front door has a screen door, a wood door that leads to a small entry room and then a second door inside that leads up the stairs and into the house. And these are all old, loud doors. I never heard the screen door open. 
I didn't hear the main door close, and I didn't hear the second door open. The doors are still double-locked. No other doors are opened, and nobody is standing outside. Okay, maybe it was my neighbor's door that I heard. Maybe they just happened to have the same security system. Then I hear it again, and it sounds like it's coming from outside the front of the house. I look out the window. It looks like a deer is crawling on the yard with its belly to the ground. Weird. But then, the thing stands up. Stands up on its back legs. It makes the door opening beeping sound with its head raised up in the air. This is not a deer. It looks like some guy with deer legs. But it's too dark to see anything beyond that. I'm home. What in the world? It does it again. I'm home. Sounds like a dog barking I'm home while trying to vomit. It starts to gallop away across the street, making that beep, beep, beep. Then it starts shaking. It's raining out at the time. I can see the thing open its mouth and hold its head up again. Then the thing starts digging furiously at the grass across the road, with its front arms, legs, or whatever they are. It puts its head near the hole it made, like it's looking inside. Then it continues on down the street. Beep, beep, beep. I'm home. It puts its head back up to drink in some rain, then digs at the ground again. Keeps doing this down the block before eventually galloping away down the division, away from the city. I don't live in a rural area. The deer population here typically stays down towards Melrose Park off of Thatcher by the river. I live just outside of Chicago, literally a block west of the city limits. I've never seen anything like this before, nor have I ever heard of it. I'm basically soiling myself right now. I was going to post this story all over, but I figured anywhere else then I'd get memed left and right, and this seems more paranormal than anything. I've been googling similar things trying to find some sort of typical scientific explanation for it, but I can't even find a similar story. My instinct is crazy homeless man, but its legs bent back like a deer's, so it wasn't really built like a human being at all, and it wasn't wearing clothes. It looked like it had a full body of fur. I wasn't on any sort of substance. I wasn't that tired, so I know I was 100% aware and lucid. I'm freaking terrified. If I can't find a good explanation to this, it's going to drive me insane. Hey, does anyone else legitimately sleep with a gun under their pillow? I started doing it a few weeks back. I only stash it away when my girlfriend is over for the night. Somehow it's comforting to me. 
Yeah, I keep mine between my butt cheeks. Makes me feel like everything's gonna be okay. I keep my 45 next to me when I sleep. I also live in a darker part of town while going to school, so I think it's not totally crazy. Today, I woke up with a dovetail under my neck. Well, ever since the greys started visiting me, I sleep with my tokarev under my pillow. Uh, okay. Tell us about these A's. Screw off. You've got no idea. Well, what about them? Alright. I was waking up at weird times, so I set up iSpy on my laptop as I slept, pointed it away from me. I got this still image. Concern intensifies. No relevant matches. I couldn't find your image on any of the selected services. Oh, crap. I was doing the K Summer in the Woods challenge. Stalker challenge. Gotta chill in the woods with vodka and a harmonica or guitar for 48 hours within like 50 feet of a broken down building. So I go out into the woods, brought an SKS and Glock with me. I spend the first half of the first day exploring, finding a nice abandoned concrete structure of sorts. I set up a camp nearby, make myself a campfire. I got some small game on the way there with my sling and start skinning it. It's pretty tasty after I get it cooked. As I sit there, I begin to hear some rustling sounds, and it sure as heck isn't my jimmies. I put a hand on my rifle, scan the forest in front of me and behind me. A solid five minutes pass, and I put my guard down, as nothing else has happened. I go back to jamming on my harmonica. The following day, I wake up to screaming. My eyes shoot open grab my SKS. But then there's silence. Nothing but absolute silence. Storm clouds are gathering. Gonna be a blowout soon. It starts dripping on me, and I decide to head in the direction that I heard the scream. I spend at least an hour searching, and get lost really bad. Luckily, I manage to find my way back to camp, but I'm pretty tired. It's raining like crazy now. I get back, and I see a guy just standing over my fire, looking at these smoldering ashes. I get a bit shaken. Hey, man. His head freaking snaps up to look at me. It freaks me out, and I raise my gun. He doesn't even flinch at it at all. In fact... He looks especially curious. Are you lost? He doesn't respond. He smiles. Do you need some help? His clothes appear to be a bit tattered, but there were no wounds on him or anything like that. It was strange. He looks like he just got run over by a freaking truck, without the truck part. We have a Mexican standoff. Thirty seconds later, I ask. You're kind of worrying me, bro. Are you okay? 
he finally speaks to me. I wouldn't worry about it. Freaking nope. I could go for another meal right now, though. Another? I didn't leave any food by the fire. Suddenly, all of my K experience starts rushing back. I nope out of there so hard. I'm not even trying to be subtle. I just turn and run. And I can hear him running after me. I turn and start firing blindly. I hear a scream. A scream that sounds exactly like the scream I'd heard before. The same pitch, the same tone, everything. I finally reach a road and tumble down a hill onto it. I run across it and turn around, gun limp at my side. I see a figure by some trees up there. I can hear heavy breathing. I notice the lights of a car coming my way. The thing, the man, looks at it, then runs away back into those woods. Screw this freaking state. The Grand Caverns Cryptids This photo was taken in 1895 by an amateur spelunker photographer named Oren Jeffries while exploring an unmapped section of Grand Caverns in southwestern Virginia. At the time it was taken, Jeffries was conducting photographic experiments using super-long exposures to see if anything at all could be captured in the total absence of light, otherwise known as cave darkness. He would situate himself on level ground, extinguish his lantern, and then open the lens of his homemade box camera for as long as he could stand the darkness. During one of these experiments, he heard something approach from the deeper recesses of the cave. Frightened, Jeffries abandoned his experiment and set off one of the blitz-litched flashes he used for taking traditional photos underground. According to the report he later gave to a local newspaper, Jeffries saw three humanoid creatures staring at him from the shadows and took off running in the other direction and did not stop running until he was topside. Several days later, he returned with three other men to retrieve his box camera. This is the image that was recorded on the film inside. Creepy Deep Web Stories I have a few. If you'll like this one, I'll post more. It was two years ago, and I was screwing around with my Polish friend. We had on to Hidden Wiki, Anon-chan, etc. While we're on Anon-chan, some dude posts a link and some Cyrillic script with lots of exclamation points. Luckily enough, my buddy reads Russian, so he translates it. It says, It's up again. Hurry. Alright then, why not? We click the link. Here's what we saw. 
Three dudes in military uniforms, shown only from the neck down. They're speaking excitedly and super high-pitched or nervously in Russian. Friend reads Russian better than he speaks it, so we can only catch a few phrases. Basically, these guys are scared and excited. They're saying they're getting another one. Eventually, it becomes clear that they're out on the ice in some random lake in Siberia, ice fishing. After a few minutes of nervous chatter, someone starts firing. The camera swings around wildly, eventually focusing on a poorly lit hole in the ice. Gurgling and splashing noises are coming from it. These guys and others are just straight pumping bursts into the hole. Eventually, after another few minutes, these dudes use long hooked poles to dig around and then begin to heave something up. I kid you not, a twenty or more foot long fish-like snake looking thing at least three and a half feet in diameter is pulled up. I'd say it was an anaconda but it was brown and it had really nasty, flabby fins that they grabbed and stretched out. It was full of sea lice and holes and crap. It had big black eyes and a mouth full of the gnarliest teeth I'd ever seen. There were huge air sacs on its underside. It looked like a lungfish or some crap. The video cuts to a series of photos of the thing, better lit than the video presumably because they're shot with flash. It had mottled brown skin with plenty of blood smeared all over it, either from the bullets or it was from scraping the sides of it along the hole they pulled it out of. One of the pictures showed what I'm guessing was the contents of its stomach. There was all sorts of crazy crap in there. Moral of the story, don't go swimming in Russia. I've got one from last year. I was 23, stalking in the woods, in the Ozarks of Arkansas to be exact, with some new gear that I'd been saving for months. Some boots, tack vest, even a Millsup gas mask. It was like Christmas. Being where I was and wanting to field test some personal prototypes, I had my nugget on hand. Wouldn't do much against the big bears. But it would ruin any snake, stray dog, or cougar's day right to hell. Had a couple of strippers and two clipazines I built and wanted to field test in my pouches. Some rolled up targets stuck in my loops, and a light complement of survival gear, like a compass, topographical map, thermal blanket, extra undies, MREs, canteen, and camelback. The works. Basically prepared for the inevitable invasion of any type. I was having a great time romping around the woods, playing with my field of view in the mask, testing the reliability of the clipazines, generally having fun. I wandered next to a creek bed and decided it was time to practice my gorilla tactics. It was late summer, early fall, so no danger of getting my gear wet in the non-existent steam. Crap was in more danger of water damage from my own sweat. After triple-checking my safety... I proceeded to do a series of scree slides and uphill hustles in full survivalist gear. Needless to say, 
I got winded really quick. I stood panting in that dry stream bed and decided to check my position with my topographical map and compass so that I could set a course for home. In the middle of reorienting myself, I caught wind of a smell. At first I thought it was my sweat, but the funk quickly evolved into something freaking worse. A dark undercurrent of rot, deep notes of animal musk, a bassy score of raw garbage punctuated by garlicky timpani, and a thick black score of something between skunk and onion sludge. I went into straight operating mode, popped an addy from my pouch for extra focus, pulled the clipazine from my nugget. It seemed to be working fine, but if I was going to have to shoot something, I'd prefer not to have any risk of jamming. The smell made me gag, and I nearly puked up that addy tablet. The smell was that strong at this point. Whatever the source was, it was definitely mobile and getting closer to me. Screw it. I pulled up my mask from around my neck and pulled it over my face. It helped a bit, but the mask wasn't 100% airtight around the joint. So some of the smell got in. I walked cautiously and slowly along the creek bed to where the slope was shallowest, listening for twig snapping or animal sounds from above me. I definitely heard something shuffling around up there and it sounded bigger than what my nugget was up for. It was a near-constant snuffle grunt and sloppy, uncoordinated crunching around bark and leaves. All that mixed with the smell, and my mind immediately jumped to Big Bear. And I mean big. Possibly even rabbit, if it smelled like that. Let me tell you something about Ozark Big Bears, straight from my dad's mouth. My dad's lived in the Ozark for 58 years, and in that time only two things have managed to shake him. The challenge of fatherhood, and the big bears. According to him, the native black bears were hunted to near extinction between the 40s and 50s. To correct this, the ANRC, NRCS, and Arkansas Fish and Game Commission released 250 bears into the Ozark and Washita Mountains. Their website insists that they were all black bears. My dad insists that that is bullcrap. According to him, more than a few of the bears released there were brown bears. They interbred with the few remaining local bears and the reintroduced blacks. Thanks to a little phenomenon known as hybrid vigor, the resulting offspring were bigger and meaner than their parents, and screw me, were they fertile. When I asked him to prove it, he simply left the summer porch, went upstairs, and came back with a manila folder labeled BB. He pulled out a couple Polaroids and asked me to take a look. I saw a big black and brown something rooting around a clothesline. Dad directed my attention to the clothesline about 50 feet away from us. Between the two poles, about 5 to 6 feet off the ground. It was the same clothesline in the picture. The something's shoulder was about a fart's length under the line, despite it being further in the background. I looked through the other pictures. One was rooting through the trash. Another was barely concealed by trees, all of them slightly shaky. Detail was hard to come by, but I was convinced. My dad told me two things about how to avoid getting attacked by the big bears. 
One, big bears are dumb as crap. Something to do with them being hybrids. This makes them more dangerous than other bears because they're not afraid of you. This also makes them smell like crap, and you'll smell them coming a mile off. If you smell a big bear, get inside, get upstairs, but take the 12-gauge and some deer slugs. And two, if you do see a big bear, and you ain't home, or you ain't got a shotgun loaded with slugs, hide. Up a tree if you can. They're faster than you, so there isn't any use running. I tell you all of this because after 23 years I'd finally managed to prove my dad wrong about something. Well, half wrong. There's something in the Ozarks that matches my dad's pictures of big bears. But whatever they are, they sure as heck aren't bears. So back to my story. I would have stayed in that creek bed and waited for that something to screw off on its own business. But the light was already slanting through the trees, and as bad as my dad made Big Bear sound, I was sure as heck not wanting to be stuck with a god-dang rabid one after dark. Instead, I opted to climb up the opposite edge of the creek bed, had to scramble over some big rock outcroppings and half-stand, half-lean against the slope of the hill. But I figured that if anything, that would just be an extra layer of protection against that something out there. I'd gotten a few glimpses of it over my shoulder as I climbed, but this was my first good look at it. I just couldn't stop staring. Like I said in my previous post, this was not a bear. It was bear-like, but not a bear. I've been into sci-fi my entire life, and even got Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials from my awesome late stepmom. So when I saw this thing for the first time, my freaking nerd brain immediately went, Oh, a Suvador. Except it wasn't. It looked like a Suvador, a grizzly bear, and a sloth had a three-way on top of a garbage heap to make it. It had a long prognathous snout, like a stubby trunk, with big angular shoulders, feet that looked like manhole covers, covered in dirty matted fur and a body like a furry blimp. Its fur was the same charcoal black and day-glow brown that I saw in the pictures, and full of mats and clumps of dirt. I mean, I stared at it for so long, drinking in those details trying to make sense of it for two and a half minutes, and it somehow didn't notice me. Jesus, these things were dumb. I remember feeling a twinge of relief, if it hadn't noticed me yet, trying to scrabble out of a rocky gully, it probably won't notice me sneaking away from it. It's going to sound ridiculous, but I farted then. The something stopped, my breath stopped, and my heart stopped. The only sound in those woods at the moment was my freaking fart echoing and the sound of my nose blistering under the something's odiferous assault. It was like slow motion, when the thing turned its head, looked back at me, sniffed the air, and stood up. It had been shuffling around, crouched low to the ground the entire time. What I thought were shoulder blades were its freaking elbows. It could tie its shoes without bending, but its paws probably would have crushed its Air Jordans to bits. They were like trash can lids. It sniffed the air again and coughed or barked, like it was asking me a question. 
It sounded like... Gorp. I swear on my mom, that's what it sounded like. Gorp. So there I was, the idiot who didn't listen to his dad. The awkward cringe lord, who freaking farts when he's trying to sneak away from a freaking gorp. I aimed at it in center mass and I fired. It didn't thwock into the gorp. Because hey, if you're gonna die, might as well give your killer a stupid name in your head, right? Instead, the shot thwumped, if that makes sense. There was a puff of dirt and hair when it thwumped. And bless my luck, the gorp actually flinched from the impact. I waited to see blood. I guess that gorps are so covered in nasty, flea-ridden hair mats that over time their poor hygiene gave them natural body armor, because I didn't see any red at all. What it did do was rear up and gorth at me, a low growl that my colon decided was a warning, because it was producing bricks, enough so to construct a barricade. I worked the bolt and fired another shot, this time at its ugly sloth bear elephant looking face. This time it did thwock. So did the dirt a few feet to the thing's left, because it ricocheted off its skull. The thing stood there staring at me, like it was too dumb to realize it could have stood in the stream bed and grabbed me by my face while I pelted it with useless bullet after bullet. I yelled at it and fired a third shot in any direction at all, trying to scare it off. The gorp or gorth or big bear or whatever it was dropped to all fours, lurching forward towards me, then did a 360 and shuffled away. It worked. I stood there until the sky turned blue to orange before I snapped out of it and tactically retreated back home. When I got back, I told my dad this story. I probably should have mentioned that I was visiting him for a few days. He could probably smell Big Bear on me, so it was no use lying to him. When I got to the part about what the Big Bears really were, he refused to believe me. Then he got pissed at me. He locked the doors and camped out upstairs for the rest of our visit. I had to freaking bring him beer from downstairs when he started to talk. The weird thing is, as scared as he was, and as weirded out as I was seeing him that scared, I wasn't scared. I remember that very clearly. Not being scared at all. I guess you could say I was too interested or curious to be scared. Because if I was scared, I would have just bolted away, and I'd probably be typing this from inside a year-old gorp turd. If I had a guess, that Adderall I popped probably kept me from switching into run-home-scared-to-mama mode. Well, Kay, he probably stopped reading two posts ago, but that's how I met a gorp and lived. Hey, OP, user from N here. Have you considered that what you saw might have been a megatherium, or a giant ground sloth? They used to get pretty big, around 20 feet, had long arms, and their skin was full of interlocking bones that would have been like natural chainmail. As for the stumpy trunk, it may have either evolved one over time, or might have had one all along. Soft tissues don't fossilize, and skin impressions of the face have never been found. They lived in South America as recently as 10,000 years ago, 
so it's not that much of a stretch that a branch population could exist in the Ozarks today. Some pictures have surfaced that some people think indicate that giant ground sloths still exist in the Appalachians, a habitat not so different from the Ozarks. Here's the Virginia ground sloth picture. Reminds me of your description. Hey everyone, thanks for the replies. I just got back from the store and holy crap. That's... That's a gorp. That's the gorp I saw. If you slapped on a... If you slapped on a dinky trunk, stretched its arms out, and fed it till it swelled up like a curvy landwell, it'd be a gorp. For the last year or so, I've been convinced that I saw a weird Native American spirit monster or an escaped government project or a skinwalker or something. But God, there are freaking giant ground sloths living in the Ozarks. I better call my dad. I hope you enjoyed these 4chan stories. I actually have something to say about the last story about the Gorb. We used to live on a hill, a lot of you already know about that, in the middle of nowhere. My great-uncle who lived next to us had a collection of dogs for hunting that roamed the hill freely for the most part. Sometimes a dog would come home with a chunk of its flesh missing. At one point this happened frequently. My uncle was losing dogs, or ending up with injured dogs left and right over the course of a couple of months. One day when a dog came back with a fresh wound, he went right to hunting whatever was doing it, expecting the culprit to be a bear. You see, from our experience, bear attacks seemed the most likely for this. Mountain lions around there were quite vicious, and on the occasion they actually attacked the dogs or defended themselves, they would always maul the dog to death on the spot, or drag away the corpse to eat. Bears, on the other hand, were the type to swipe at the dog and run away to protect itself, leaving the poor pup with a big injury that would either kill it or leave it permanently disfigured. Anyway, he found the tracks near where one of the dogs had been attacked, even found a mass of tracks that indicated a scuffle between that dog and the bear. He didn't have to go too much further into the woods before he found the attacker moving especially slowly through the undergrowth, something he described as a bear with an elephant-style trunk. He labeled it the hog-nosed bear when he told the story, as the trunk was shorter and a bit stubby. It's a weird feeling hearing another person's anonymous story hit close to home. Maybe there are a few giant ground sloths out and about in Middle or Southern America, after all. 